Hey there. I would like to begin the episode by um, letting you know that you can support us by going to patreon.com slash duckfeedtv. Uh, that doesn't just support Watch Out for Fireballs. It is a way to support the entire network. It is a way for you to get uh, exclusive content. Uh, so, so much of it every month. So much content. All of it. Oh, there's Greta. She's She agrees. My cat says, yes, it's a lot of content. Anyway, patreon.com slash duckfeedtv. Thank you. Butterfield. My name is Cole Ross. And you're listening to Watch Out for Fireballs Dispatch, our monthly Q&A and listener response and game announcement episode. Yeah. Uh, this this month uh, for August, we're going to be reading your responses or we're going to be reading your questions and answering your prompts. Um, we are going to have a topic discussion. Uh, and then we're doing the um, game responses a little bit differently um, because we only had two games. We had uh, Disco Elysium and Devil May Cry. Um, and Disco Elysium is so recent and so spoiler uh, so spoiler and story sensitive. We're actually moving that to the to the end um, of the episode. Yeah. So we'll do like the episode, uh, like the October game announcements and stuff like that uh, before we cover Disco Elysium stuff. So everybody... You know, if you do not feel comfortable being spoiled on Disco Elysium stuff, you can just, you know, bounce out uh, when we get there. Yes. Yeah. Uh, even though you should know in Internal Affairs did it. <laughs> internal Affairs was sending them up so the whole time. They were sending them up the whole time. So that's the one thing you got to know. Yeah. Going yeah. into uh, into Disco Elysium. <laughs> um, yeah. What a month. Uh, yeah. <laughs> we had a lot of people uh, write in about Disco Elysium, which is not a surprise, oh. but... Uh, people have thoughts. Yeah, excited. Yeah. Uh, but also, um, I what did a not month. read those before we do it. So, <laughs> but also, yeah, I was just thinking about just what, what generally August, in the world. What an August it has been. Yeah, boy, it's been a hell of an August. Boy, it's been hell. Yeah, boy, it's been a hell. <laughs> boy, ding, 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 ding. that's a that's a clean burn in hell. I tell you what. Yeah, that's a lot. That, that's a, that's a, that's a line from King, from King of the Hill. Yes, it is a line from the Kings mm -hmm. of the Hills. Yeah, uh, let's get into it with uh, questions. We appreciate everybody coming out. Just as a real uh, quick thing, if you want to ask us questions mm -hmm. on this, you do so by being a patron. Uh, patreon.com slash duckfeedtv and listener responses go to duckfeed.tv slash contact and yes. anybody can do those yep. there are different spots like sometimes he'll put the game responses in the prompts we recognize that it seems arbitrary but the reason they're different is because one is a patreon benefit and one isn't yes um i'll get to start here with michelle grimmer mm -hmm. who says uh what are some of the ugliest games you still enjoy playing i've been playing hearthstone pretty regularly for about five years now and who boy blizzard sure can crank out some lousy art agreed and what's weird is that was not always the case yeah <laughs> like it was pretty much only with uh warcraft 3 that they started uh slipping slipping and sliding down that road yeah yeah They're getting getting rough stuff mm -hmm. uh I have, I have two answers for this one that i came up with before and then one that just uh 
you know, inspired because we recorded a thing before this. Mm-hmm. Uh, early Tony Hawk games are ugly as sin. Yep. Uh, and still play great. But my, my prepared answer for this uh, was is Slay the Spire. Ooh, yeah, yeah. That game is hideous. I mean, like, that's and, and, really and, bad card art. And that's borrowing like, heavily from a Hearthstone kind of uh, kind of style, too. I, I haven't played Hearthstone mm-hmm. before. Like, I, I, I definitely, uh, if, if, if so, though, that does not say anything nice about Hearthstone. Right, right. Because, uh, yeah, Slay the Spire is only good in wireframe. Mm-hmm. But, boy, every single card, every single design just looks like absolute shit. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> ugly game uh, yeah um this is a hard question to answer the like the ugly the ugliest game that i have played recently that i still enjoyed was um oh gosh uh mario car or mario golf advanced tour uh, oh sure which is ugly as sin um it was just incredibly awkward uh bad <laughs> bad visual design all around um saved by a very you know fun golf system uh, but yeah, mm-hmm. like that, that, that I think is the, is the answer that comes quickest to mind. Like there are definitely games that like have not aged very well, you know, like, like, like a Tony Hawk, but I don't know that that, I don't know that that answer, you know, is as interesting or what Michelle is looking for, um, as yeah. you know, the Hearthstone or the, uh, the Slay the Spire kind of answer. Yeah. The, the things that are old, like the, the PS1 generation, you know, we talked about that a lot. Like that's kind of an ugly generation. Yeah. You know, in general, like there's there's pleasures to it. Mm-hmm. You know, like it, it's an aesthetic that you can dig, but it's there are a lot of really ugly ugly shit in that. Yeah, you know, and it, and it can be uh, used to good effect too. You know, horror games and things yeah. like that. But yeah, yeah. Cue the the meme about like you're the best looking guy in here, Squall, <laughs> and he just looks like dog shit. <laughs> I love uh, that. So, That's very uh, funny to me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, Matt says, or asks, with the exception of tabletop stuff, have you ever done any lore deep dives for games that you don't expect to play? Either getting lost in wiki dives, watching cutscenes, or lore videos on YouTube, etc. Um, I I... do this with MMOs, actually. Okay. Like, I will go back, um, and, you know, just, like, do, uh, like, like, look on TV tropes or go into, like wiki um like special wikis for either dead mmos or like mmos that i used to play um you know specifically like everquest which is still coming out with you know one expansion a, you know a, a year um and like reading about like the new content in that and looking at like what lore has been updated and stuff like that just kind of keeping tabs um mm. you know there is cool story stuff that happens uh in games like that but fuck if i'm ever gonna play one again um, yeah. so yeah, that ends up usually being the case for me. No, uh, for me, this was a thing when I was younger, mm-hmm. um, mostly through video game magazines. Yeah. Like there are tons of, tons of, you know, I knew a lot about the adventures of Willie Beamish <laughs> for having not, never met the man. Um, but nowadays it's all tabletop yeah. stuff. I don't really do it for video games. Like I will, I keep up with magic cards, even mm-hmm. though I don't play even the online version. Yeah. Um, I, uh, and I will read like TV tropes. Uh, for just kind of like, you know, I probably read the the Planescape and the Ravenloft and Dark Sun setting TV tropes things like many, many times. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but any video game stuff that comes through that is generally pretty incidental. Because mm-hmm. if it's a game, I'm probably more interested in playing it. And if I'm yeah. not interested in playing it, I don't, you know, I usually don't care to know about it. Mm-hmm. Um, Caleb asks, uh, what was the first video game you fell in love with? Additionally, what was your first video game related memory? Uh, for me, Final Fantasy IV. Mm-hmm. 
Um, just because, you know, that uh, I've, I've said that several times, like I played that exceptionally young. I was in like second grade or something like that. And like, Ooh, games can be storybooks too. Cool. Um, cause I was mm-hmm. a nerd who liked reading chapter books when I was that young. Um, and my first video game related memory, watching my brother play Mario one, um, in our, uh, shared bedroom in the trailer that we lived in me sitting on the upper bunk, watching him play on the TV in our bedroom. Uh, I was playing with my, my, my socks had little plastic, uh, airplanes like attached to them, like on the elastic. And I was watching him play Mario and playing with the little airplanes that were like, you know, stuck to my foot. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the first video game, uh, <clears throat> I ever like super fell in love with was probably Mega Man two. Mm-hmm. Uh, the first new Nintendo games I got were, uh, operation wolf, Mega Man two. Uh, and also Mario Brothers, which came mm-hmm. with it, which I also loved. But Mega Man 2, I was really obsessed with. Yeah. Um, but I, my earliest memory was playing Atari. Um, and it's either playing Joust with my family when I was like six uh, or playing the E.T. Mm-hmm. Atari game. Those are the two I remember uh, playing a lot on our Atari yeah. when I was a little boy. Mm. Who wanted to be a big boy? Yeah. I think every little boy wants to be a big boy. Yeah. You, you'll, someday you'll fly those airplanes <laughs> and they'll still be on your feet we call them airplane yep. shoes and the year is yeah. 2022 <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> like we invented them for some reason yeah. uh countless deaths countless yeah. countless deaths mm-hmm. big lawsuit tragic um <laughs> tara writes well, in this pre-2022 environment well yeah yeah you know we can't we, who can who can judge yeah who can guess um, <laughs> Tara asks, why do game designers love mini, uh, love fishing mini games so much? And to make it more of a question, have you ever particularly enjoyed or hated a fishing mini game? Personally, I can't remember one that I've liked, but it always bugs me when they're mandatory to progress. Uh, I used to like fishing games and now I don't, mm-hmm. uh, in video games. And I think I liked them when I was younger. Be- and I think that the reason why they show up a lot is because they're nostalgic. Mm-hmm. Uh, for people, um, I used to like them cause I liked the games they were in. Yes. Um, but I do think that they suck mm-hmm. and it's really annoying. It's very random. Like the mechanics of them tend to be really limited. And then what you get tends to be like a gachapon yeah. machine, like in like Link's Awakening or in Nier when you're just trying to get the big fish and it's like, you might. <laughs> yep. uh, I, I think that they're really horribly designed and shitty. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think that I had nostalgia for them just because I liked the products that surrounded them. And the idea of going and doing a mini game for a little while was really novel. Yeah. Uh, to me. Yeah. I think that they're so common in games, um, specifically because I think fishing is bigger in Japan than here in America. Um, I, 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 have, I have nothing that I base that on aside from just things that I have seen in Japanese media. You know, yeah. um, uh, and, you know, here in America, fishing is generally something that is, it's primarily a, uh, a like a rural pursuit, like going and fishing, um, and stuff. Rural that ha- elderly. Yeah. Yeah. Although fishing is fun. Like I, I grew up fishing. Um, it's, it's fine. It's nice spending time outdoors next to water. It's good. Um, yeah. So that would be my guess, uh, is that, you know, just, we got a lot of games from Japan and they tended to like, you know, tend to like doing that. Um, uh, and as for like one of these, that I like, I really like the fishing mini game in, um, oh gosh. And breath or breath of fire three is really good. Mm-hmm. Uh, because that is, you know, very often about like getting gear, um, that will upgrade and like mastering, um, 
mastering real patterns in order to attract the right fish. Uh, and when you pull stuff out, like it ends up it mostly ends up being like really powerful um, and effectively free um, items for your party that oftentimes are like will be better healing for your party um, than you can buy from a store. Um, and also will give like buffs that you couldn't otherwise get. So there was like a, you know, the systems were integrated in a good way. Yeah. Breath of Fire mm -hmm. 3 um, has it really good. Uh, the least fun I've had doing a fishing mini game is um, Sonic Adventure uh, doing Big the Cat's campaign. Terrible. Mm. Terrible. Yeah. Well, Big Big the Cat is a war crime. Yes. Like Big the Cat's got to go. Yeah. Um, I remember liking uh, the one in Deadly Premonition all right. It was like a, it was, it was like, it was like a, like a, uh, like a slot machine kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. I just, it was a combination of two common mini games. Yeah, it's, it's so weird. <laughs> like it is just it's very, very weird that this has become such a gaming uh, staple. Yeah. Thank you for drawing our attention to it. Cause I've never really questioned it, mm -hmm. but it's pretty strange. I remember going fishing uh, and this was the kind of like little whisk kid I was <laughs> uh, going fishing with my grandpa uh, and then refusing to go because I felt bad for worms. Oh, yeah. Uh, I yeah. could not handle the idea that, like, you would just, okay, we're going to eviscerate you, mm -hmm. and then you're going to be trapped underwater as bait. <laughs> like, I, I just I was like, this is one of the most evil things that you can do to another living creature. I can't fucking handle this. Yeah. yeah. Uh, that wasn't my words as a kid. But that was, that was the, the, Grandpa, get fucked. I can't do this. <laughs> like, I, yeah. that wasn't what happened. But that was my, my thought. I was just like, I feel too bad uh -huh. uh, about this. And then my grandpa tried to take me out with the uh, the fake bait. Uh, and they don't work. So we didn't catch anything. Right, right. Uh, you know, because they just, at the time, the, the technology, like the fake bait was just rubber, like a mm -hmm. piece of rubber. Uh, and we just kind of sat around. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so. No, we we would go, um, I mean, like my grandparents, they, you know, for a lot of the year, they lived in a campground, like, you know, in an RV next to a big deck that they had built. And there were lakes there. And, you know, we would go and fishing was a big part of that. I would go like to different ponds with my dad, uh, fishing for bluegill and stuff like that. And a few times a year during the summer, we would go up to Lake Erie uh, and fish from his boat up there. <laughs> the, only, the only eerie thing about Lake Erie is all of the mercury poisoning. <laughs> but you, you, you bet your ass we pulled walleye out of that lake and we ate them with pride. And that probably accounts yeah. for some of my speech impediments today. That's probably so, all kinds of things. Yeah. Any of your problems. Yep. Uh, how I love the idea of somebody being teleported to the, the earth and not knowing fishing was a thing. <laughs> and you go into a gas station and there's just a fridge with like a scary horror font that just says night crawlers <laughs> yeah. on it. And you don't know what that means. Oh, no. <laughs> like you're used to like like getting food from there. <laughs> but this one's because it's always like sometimes they'll have like a you know a piece of printer paper. Uh, like yellowed printer paper taped to it, but I've seen one where it just looks like, like a subliterate man wrote it with his left hand. Mm -hmm. Night crawlers across the fridge. It's like really scary. Uh, I love that. Um, Live bait. <laughs> do you want to do, ah. do you want to buy something alive? And do you want to yeah. buy a, a cup of writhing? <laughs> <laughs> the, you, would you would you like to purchase the writhing you, chalice yeah, yeah would you like to partake of the writhing cup um, <laughs> yeah. it's very scary oh shit. god um no so suckers bought bait we, we we did we did buy bait but you know a bit you know a part of it was going out and digging for worms too it was always fun to pull them out well, you have to have the entire torture experience yeah yeah, yeah like, you, 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 yank, yank them from their home um yeah 
<laughs> literally yeah, you, you have to do the entire them. torture cycle of the worm <laughs> <laughs> oh geez uh just talking about this mini game did bring something up for me uh apparently i need to play this but somebody made a uh um it's like an itch game but it is the museum a, of lock picking the museum of lock picking there we go yeah, yeah. you already knew what i was going to yep. talk about it was the guy who did uh where the water tastes like wine gotcha okay um yeah i have that bookmarked i haven't played it yet but yeah. i think that's awesome mm-hmm. looks neat i just wanted to bring it to your attention because i know this thing you would enjoy it's neat yeah i uh, like lockpicking yeah uh joel asks uh i recently played ghost of tsushima while listening to your disco elysium episodes which were great thank you um i was left underwhelmed and bored by tsushima uh, aside from the visuals, in which they had done more to make me feel invested in what I was actually doing. The setting was supposed to be the main part of what made that game interesting, but the world felt bland and generic in practice. What lesson do you think modern open-world games could learn from games like Disco Elysium to make things a bit more interesting from a story and world-building perspective? It might be an apples and oranges situation, but I'd like to hear your thoughts. Could Elden Ring, for example, learn any lessons from Disco Elysium? Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, there are different types of stories. Right. Not every story can be what Disco Elysium is you know, trying to do. But I think that something that is broadly important about any kind of setting is that it needs to be reflected in the people who live in it, um, mm-hmm. either in the way that they live as a result of kind of like what that, um, you know, <laughs> what that landmass values, be that it's government or economy. Um, or, uh, through, you know, legendary figures, and this is, I'm I'm thinking just about Dark Souls here, legendary figures, you know, it can be being communicated to you what they want and what they ultimately got, whether they failed, uh, succeeded or succeeded to the point where it, you know, ultimately looked like failure. And that needs to be reflected in, you know, yeah, yeah. And that needs to be reflected, um, I think in the space around you as well. I think that people... Um, whether big or small need to be centered in order for a setting to be good. It can't just be like biographical facts about what happened on this land. Yeah, I, I, I think that's true. I also, uh, I think a little bit more than that. I think a, uh, what, what a lot of my favorite fiction does is, uh, fiction in, in both like books and movies and games and everything, uh, is add a sense of, something surreal to underline the real yeah, no. of something. So like, if you look at um, like, and this is just an easy example, I'm not trying to be film man, but like you look at uh, like Charlie Kaufman movies or whatever. Yeah. yeah. Um, they take something, they add an element of the fantastical to like reflect on the, the, the real world and the humanity mm-hmm. yeah. within. And I think that a, uh, a one-to-one historical setting has a harder time doing that. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that you can get a lot of that characterization and put your characters in situations where they're going to show more humanity and more character mm-hmm. by tweaking those things. Yeah. Um, which is something I think that Disco Elysium does really well, like a largely real world setting mm-hmm. that has everything at a canted angle and surreal enough to, uh, show the emotional truth behind things yeah. a little bit stronger than the literal truth. You know, even if it stops short of being outright magical realism, I think that what that can do as part of the setting is kind of bring forward a central metaphor of what you're trying to talk about, you know? Yeah. You know, when you have that element of the surreal or whatever, usually that exists to exert some kind of pressure to kind of like enable the kind of story that you want to tell or what kind of value you're trying to get across. 
Yeah, yeah. What, what, way better than like, I mean, I'm going to say something I don't expect you to agree with me or anyone like necessarily listening to agree with me. But the other thing that I think that uh, that setting is going to have over Ghost of Tsushima automatically is it's not based on a real world setting. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, th- I feel like people like there's a lot of like, oh, man, give me the game that takes place here. Mm-hmm. And what I actually want is a game that takes place in a place that's inspired by that. Yeah. But isn't just that. Mm-hmm. Like, I, you know, I can, people can tell me until like they're blue in the face that like the Sengoku period of Japan was really interesting. Yeah. Um, I'm going to want Sekiro before I'm going to want Ghost of Tsushima. Yes. Like I'm going to want these, something kind of based in it that has these fantastical elements way more than I'm ever going to want direct history in a video game. Mm -hmm. Because you can, it's just going to make it like history is very complicated to get those kind of get those big larger than life characters in those broad swaths. Sometimes that takes dozens and dozens of years to <laughs> right. go through. And a yeah. game doesn't take place over that amount of time. Like a game is a single incident. You have to mm-hmm. kind of like compress time, Yeah, you know, and, and fiction, you know, surrealistic elements or non-realistic elements can do that work for you. Mm-hmm. Uh, whereas just having like, you can be like, Oh, this time, like history really came alive. This was such a fascinating setting. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if that's it, if you're just doing stuff in that setting and the setting is as it is like i think you're it's harder to to get to those you know kind of bigger bigger feelings and bigger themes in the amount of time allotted yeah fortunately i think that like outside of say you know ghost of tsushima um maybe a couple of smattering of other examples or like established properties like romance of the three kingdoms or what have you um you know or any of those kind of like grand strategy games where you are kind of like acting as a whole country i think straight up history is fortunately pretty rare um yeah thinking about like even games that approach like a historical fiction assassin's creed being a major one th- like what those do is they take um recognizable architecture and put you into a setting that really heightens the feel of what it would be like to get around in these places um mm-hmm. but like all of the story and stuff uh is this pulp is this pulp uh, um, conspiracy kind of stuff. Like you are working with larger than life figures who are struggling against each other, um, yeah. you know, and kind of be, being used as a tool in their broader, in their broader scheme. Um, and that's why I think that works for me personally. Yeah. 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 The secret ingredient is like drama and conflict. Yeah. <laughs> and incident, yep. you know, it's, it's not that. And, I'm, and I can't, and we're just activity to, cucks. To, yeah. Yeah. We're activity cucks. And I can't speak to ghost of Tsushima generally, mm-hmm. but one of the reasons why that game looked so boring to me initially was just like, I just don't care about being a samurai and walking around doing samurai shit and that. Like, mm-hmm. you know, the thing that made, you know, I had a lot of problems with Sekiro, but the story grew on me as we covered it. And mm-hmm. one of the things I liked about it was it wasn't just, you know, the, the daimyo's in trouble. Yeah. Like it, it had a lot kind of bigger shit going on Yeah, that pushed those forces and exaggerated it to make it work in the time scale so yeah and it could be the case i've got no idea i've not played ghost of tsushima i've just never seen people talk about what goes on in that aside from you know the 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 different kind of you know fiefdoms in japan specifically that area need to gather together to fight off the invasion of the mongols right yeah like i've not seen anything described where they have kind of that heightening um, but no, no, you know, there's yeah, also a failure, part in, of it. but there's a failure in the way that people broadly talk about games where by avoiding spoiling stuff, you know, especially in public, they end up talking about the most superficial things. Um, that is not any one person's problem. That's just a gen- you know, general problem. The way we talk about games. I, I think that's true. But I also <clears> think that with that game specifically, 
I don't, I'm not convinced there's stuff there. Yeah. Like when I see, even when I read writing that is, um, full spoilers Mm -hmm. about that game, they're not talking about that stuff. They're talking about how pretty it is. Yeah. You know, because it's, it's, it's got a trick. Mm-hmm. So that game is going to get forgotten so quickly. Like in two months, no one will even know the name of that game. Yep. Like that's that's on the 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 order eighteen eighty six train. Out of town. <laughs> it's uh it's it's one of those weird games. Like it exists it exists as a first party exclusive. You know, at the very very extreme tail end of a uh, of of a console cycle. Yeah. 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 Huh. Um, let's see here. Zane writes, are there games that you feel focused on the wrong thing or had the wrong scope or scale? Like the main character's journey wasn't, it wasn't as interesting as others or the game ended just as the plot was starting to to develop an interesting direction or that the story was too granular or too grand and the experience was worse for it. Um, yeah, sure. Like the, the classic example of the main character sucking is final fantasy 12. Uh, which I thought when I played it then I haven't revisited, but mm-hmm. like, you know, doing the point of view characters who are blank slates was, I think a big mistake, um, in that game. Um, I think like in terms of like focusing on the wrong scope, um, like a lot of games that I think are good, but I don't actually, or like interesting, but I don't actually like playing mm-hmm. have that problem. Like I wish that deadly premonition was just the cool parts of deadly premonition yeah, no. and none of the uncool parts of it, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. Um, I, you know, I, I'm, I'm sorry. Like I, I looked at this, you know, I watched these responses as they came in. I saw this and it stuck out as a, you know, a, pr- a pretty tricky one. I have not thought of a good answer. I think that generally what I prefer is for games to be smaller, mm-hmm. you know, and go back and listen to several other shows where, you know, that we've talked about. The entire network. Yeah, listen to enti- a decade of podcasting. Yes. Listen to a decade like, of podcasting. Just, just go back about. real quick. We'll, we'll wait. <laughs> yeah. We'll be here. Yeah. We'll be here yeah. in several hundred hours. Yeah. yeah, but I mean, this happens with every almost every JRPG. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, Suikoden two one thousand percent should have stopped before the cosmic space threat yep. showed up. If that was just about Luca Blight, that would have been a much better game. I uh, think. I, I can't recall anything after Luca Blight, Gary. It well, it's because it's unmemorable and shitty. It like gets <laughs> generic, and it's that's a good game and a good example of that genre. Like, I mm-hmm. like Suikoden two, but just like scope. You know, or Final Fantasy Nine should never have had whatever pops up after Kuja. Yeah. You know, all that stuff. Like, there's a million examples of this in that genre because they always have to go cosmic. Mm-hmm. And so rarely is it necessary or good. Yeah. You know? Yep. Um, I can't so. think of a, I can't think of a counterexample where I wish something would have gotten bigger. No, yeah. It's something where the scope is too small is v- like, that doesn't feel like an animal that exists to right. me. Yeah. You know, it'd be cool if they did, mm-hmm. but no. yeah. uh, Greg asks, uh, and just as a note, we did edit this down a little bit, uh, not to be, you know, just for, just for time. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of current parents who are introducing their kids to video games grew up playing video games themselves. So it was a struggle for myself growing up because my parents just did not get the whole thing about video games and why I enjoyed the hobby so much. Something that still hasn't changed uh, with them, though, now that I'm in my 40s. Do you have any memories or experiences of playing video games with your parents or siblings? And did they get video games or just tolerate them? Um, yeah. Uh, no. Your first memory. Yeah, I had my first memory watching my brother play. Um, generally, as we grew up, we tended to favor different things. Like he was really into sports games. Um, 
you know, and never really wanted to play like two player Sonic the Hedgehog or whatever with me. Um, but there were games that we would, you know, watch each other play um, with, uh, mm -hmm. you know, Super Mario World, um, Star Fox, stuff like that. Uh, most of my like fun family memories are playing with my dad. You know, like uh, just speaking of Star Fox, just the amazing memory of like my dad getting us the Super Nintendo and like us spending the night, like spending a weekend at my cousin's house playing it in the basement. Right. Um, mm -hmm. You know, just spending a bunch of time playing Zombies Ate My Neighbors with my dad. Like I've got a copy of Zombies Ate My Neighbors up on my memory shelf because I like that game a lot because I had very good memories of playing that. You know, with, with with my dad, my brother, my uncle, just kind of like passing it back and forth. Yeah, mm -hmm. um, you know, uh, to the to the point where he still has the SNES like plugged in in, his, in the basement in his house. Yeah, that's uh, yeah. Uh, that's a great memory for me. Yeah. Uh, no. 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 Not really. <laughs> I played Atari with my parents before they got divorced, and then no. Then my mom tolerated video games. Never really liked them. I have a very distinct memory of. Uh, me getting like i never got bad grades but if something i was not interested in every once in a while i'd pull like a b or a c like i'm generally like a, a b average kid mm -hmm. um but i got a c and her coming in and, and yelling at me and pointing to uh like a textbook and be like that's important and then pointing to uh my keyboard i was teaching myself how to play keyboard like that's important and then pointing to my playstation and be like that's not important mm. uh like you know and but then like we basically hands off yeah just comes in like, set the, sets the priority and expects you to act on it yeah then, then didn't enforce it because she was a single mom right like you know working 50 hours a week or whatever to support me yeah so uh but it was it was definitely something that she did not uh appreciate or get or anything mm -hmm. um yeah no. that, that makes sense yeah which is fine mm -hmm. like i'm I, I turned out to be a professional video game player in spite of it yeah so yep uh yeah um, what does, uh, Stuart say? I think this is a really good question. Yeah. Um, Stuart writes, I was thinking lately about the blind spots in my gaming history. Are there landmark titles or entire games you feel that you know little or nothing about? Do you feel like it's important for WAF that you tried to fill in those gaps? Um, yes. And yes, kinda, mm -hmm. you know, um, yeah, there's definitely things that I don't have any history with. I like the idea of doing them for WAF. Mm -hmm. at some point like we we'll just we'll use that cite that as like a reason yeah uh that we've done a game before i'm um, just kind of hit a series mm -hmm. so i guess like yes and yes yes and yes for sure um and over the course of you know the decade uh that we've been doing this or coming up on a decade you know like i have filled in substantial gaps you know like a big one is like i'd only ever really just kind of like grazed on the point and click adventure not not point, not point and click adventure games i've played a shitload of those i'd only ever really grazed on computer rpgs fallout and mm -hmm. you know baldur's gate and stuff like that like i never really had an impetus to get through them even though i knew there was good stuff in there um but yeah sitting down and playing for them for the show has filled in a huge back uh, filled in a huge black hole for me mm mhm yeah. Um, there's also, for me, like, related to the topic when we get to this, like, there's a lot of stuff that came out during a gaming downtime. Yes. For me that I missed. And the, the show is good for that. So, like, I played my first Halo game mm -hmm. for the show. Like, eventually I will play my first Gears of War game mm -hmm. for the show. You know, maybe someday we'll do an Assassin's Creed. Like, I played the first one, but I never beat it. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, maybe we'll actually do one of those. Yeah. So, like, there's a lot of uh, kind of that period of things that I just totally missed. Yeah. You know, 
And uh, it would be, and like, there's also things that uh, I played a little bit of, but it was fun to actually go through and pay serious attention to. So like Mm -hmm. we did Commander Keen, like we did uh, like a PC platformer. And I can imagine us doing like Jazz Jackrabbit or something like that Mm -hmm. in the future. Like that's a real weird subgenre that is important to some people that does not get very much attention. Yeah. So I do think it is cool. Uh, Like I love experimental wafts. Like I love doing things that uh, challenge the format and that Mm -hmm. are weird games that I don't hear people talk about Yeah. um, in a substantive way. Mm -hmm. You know, Uh, like Plants vs. Zombies. Yeah. No, that's that's coming up. Um, and boy, yeah. is that is that game incredibly good? And there's a lot that other people should like take from that. Um, yeah, that's a that's it's super good. Yeah. Um, you you never really played like any Silent Hill games before we did the show. Mm-mm. No, yeah. I, I had played the first one a little bit with Derek mm-hmm. uh, in that way that like two people would play a single player game back in the day. Yeah. Like we kind of passed the controller, but mostly I'd watch him. But I never got to the end of it. Mm-hmm. Um, Silent Hill Two was the first time I'd played that, and that game's great. Yep. You know, and it's weird because I'd played resident evil i just didn't in my mind i didn't have the like putting that together yeah no uh gene where it's like oh i might like this because i like that mm-hmm. wasn't really what i was thinking of yeah so yeah that's a good question yeah that's a great question um yeah uh isaac asks how important is music to you in a game have you ever played through a game you didn't particularly enjoy just to hear the soundtrack conversely have you ever stopped playing a game that you did enjoy because the music is terrible uh music can always be turned off um, if it can't, yeah. that is a problem. Put yes. that in your well, options. I mean, if it can't, you're like, <laughs> well, you can also always just turn off the music, <laughs> yeah, whatever you're playing on. If it can't, you have a problem. Like yeah. if, it, if you can't, you're in uh, a, like Guantanamo or something. <laughs> right. Like, uh, um, yeah. so uh, no and no, like I've never kept playing a game for the music because I can also, not only can it always be turned off, mm-hmm. but I can also just pop onto YouTube if I want to hear the soundtrack without playing a game. Yeah. Um, you know, there are plenty of games I like the soundtrack to, but I don't want to play. Yeah. Um, uh, Night in the Woods. Yeah. Night, Night in the Woods. I don't want to play again, but I love the soundtrack. Mm-hmm. Um, I like the soundtrack to Donkey Kong Country. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't want to play that though, but I like the soundtrack. Mm-hmm. Um, and in terms of importance, like it is pretty important, even though like it's, I, I feel like it's possible that it's, uh, it's less important to me now just because multitasking of some degree has become more frequent for me, not just in terms of like podcast games, but uh, even just in terms of like focus. Yeah. Yeah. You know, like it's not that there's no focus, but there's maybe a little less focus. Mm -hmm. So music does a lot. Um, It, you know, changes the mood. It it establishes a lot of things, but it's something that I definitely pay a little bit less attention to. Yeah. Like notice it when it's good and listen to it on its own. But in terms of the act of playing it a little, a little bit more diverse. Mm hmm yeah um it's it's weird because it is additive and it is good when it is there um i feel like it is more linked to moments and heightens moments uh or you know particular moods and particular areas as opposed to kind of being something that is necessary for the entire game yeah for me yeah Yeah. agreed Mm -hmm. do you want to move us on to life questions yes uh so on to asks i have been thinking of getting a cat It'll be my first pet as I grow up without having pets ever. Can I ask you two about your formative experiences with having a pet? And what advice uh, would you give to a first-time cat owner? Um, I, I've, I've raised several cats. Now, this is my cat number four. Um, I think that you have a, a very pretty limited degree of control over what your cat will be like mm-hmm. uh, based through, like, nature. Yeah. I think a lot of it is nurture. 
um, with a cat. Like you might get a, uh, a cat that has a certain temperament, but you do have a degree of control over that. Mm-hmm. Uh, not total control like a dog, but you have a degree of control over it. So like if I was choosing a cat, I would choose one that I liked, you know, that had the temperament you want and then just try to keep enforcing that yeah, yeah. as much as possible. Um, but you can have a cat that seems really sweet and then turns out to be a nightmare mm-hmm. and vice versa. Yeah. Um, and I think that is largely because cats live in a weird sensory world that we don't live in. Like yeah, they're smelling yeah. and sensing things that we can't see. Mm-hmm. Um, and that can affect them. Yes. Quite, quite obviously. So like, uh, you know, we had, uh, the, the cat known as a poet, a rest in peace poet, my old cat who died, um, who was very, very sweet as a baby and then became kind of cranky mm. and eventually got sweet again, but yeah. just had a pretty long crank period. Hmm. And we didn't do anything shitty to, to poet. Right. Like we were good, good cat owners to poet. I think it was just smells and anxiety and like, they have like, like all the same shit that we can have. Mm-hmm. You know, they they are individuals. Like people tend to think of cats as like plants, like they're all the same, but they're really no, not. No, no. Uh, you know, and you can they're they're they are unique. Mm-hmm. So th- there is an element of like pulling a slot machine, and there's an element of work to getting the temperament you want mm-hmm. with a cat too. Yeah, yeah. You know, I really lucked out with Greta. Um, prior to her, I really never had pets like we had a we had a dog for like what must have been two weeks when i was very little but it didn't work out in the house um because nobody wanted to walk it um Mm. which is a problem when you have a dog um i was four i think its name was rambo Uh like after that i lived in a house with a uh with, with a very nice black cat uh named miles uh with a roommate uh you know it was, it was a roommate's cat but cat spent a lot of time in my room uh which was which was fun that kind of got me used to them um and i never really like was in a living situation where i could have one until i got my own house here um i'm going to be adopting a new cat here um mm-hmm. uh a new kitten that uh was born on my stepsister's farm um, I might go out and visit uh, uh, later today, depending on how much daylight is left after we uh, after we go. But yeah, I think that it is you know the the really the only thing that you have control over is the environment that you create for the cat and your reactions to the way that it behaves. Mm-hmm. You know, like that's that, that that that's really it. As far as like advice goes, you probably like need less, you know, need fewer things than uh, than like if you go online and look at like a list of things you want to like buy for it. But what I would say is like there are some things where I found myself thinking like, oh, I can probably like do fine with just like the five dollar litter tray. And then I would bring it home and then Greta would just kick a bunch of, you know, like litter out of it. And I realized, oh, yeah, the reason the expensive ones have the high sides is because cats kick litter. Okay. And then I went and I got the nice $25 one, you know. Well, it it, it totally – the other thing, though, is that totally depends on the cat. Yeah. Like even down to the litter, right? Like uh, a cat will just decide not to use a litter. Yeah. Yeah. You know? Um, And like I've had like – Roars was pickier about his litter, litter than Pocket. Mm-hmm. is you know like you kind of have to get to know the animal yeah you know so like even in terms of kicking like when we had the three cats uh we had two cats that would do that and one cat that would not mm-hmm. really do it you know so we we adjusted for the cats who would do it but it's it's really just kind of depends yeah. you know there's like all these kind of weird instincts at play 
things like that that are they're going on. Uh, it sounds like we're reverse selling it. It's the best decision you can make in your oh, life. Oh, I love it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, you, you should one thousand percent do it. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just it's hard to give generalized advice. Yeah, uh, because they are individuals. Mm-hmm. You know, even though people will try to tell you that they're not they're lying to you no no people who tell you that a cat every cat is the same obviously they've not been around they don't pay attention yeah (laughs) like Like if you you have if if you're if your like care gene is not just like a blunt instrument Mm -hmm. you can tell the difference between like you're like that's a failure of observation yeah if you you think that like even just like different energy levels you know yeah yeah be more sensitive Mm mm-hmm you know, care more about the living things around you. Yeah. Um, yeah. But also, like, get, get ready to either vacuum or dust more than you uh, the, than you may have done before. Because you, you'll have mm-hmm. a, a, a creature around that is shedding way more hair than you do. Um, you know, and just if you want to, you, you'll want to stay on top of it more than uh, more than anything. And also, uh, I don't know if you have one of these, Gary, but like a litter, a litter genie is amazing. It's like, and you don't have a litter genie. Okay. Uh, I have a I have a litter gin. It was. <laughs> I, I I don't have a litter gin either. Oh okay. Uh, is that one of the magical litter boxes? Is that self cleaning? No, no. Box? It's like a it's like a fifteen dollar thing. It's like literally just called like a litter genie. I think it's made by the people who make the diaper genie, which is a machine that will you know, you just take dirty diapers and put it <laughs> into a it. Horrible summon. <laughs> <laughs> no, but it's like you know, as opposed to like taking a plastic bag every time you you, you scoop the litter box. I'll like what the litter genie is. It's like a smaller little box that you scoop the poops into. Um, and then you pull a little, uh, you pull a little like lever and it drops the poops into a sealed plastic bag so that the smell doesn't oh, get gotcha. out. Yeah. Gotcha. I, uh, you know, I, I, I had friends who had one of those, mm-hmm. the, the litter I use and I, I hate liking a product. Mm-hmm. Uh, people frequently come over to my house and not know that I have a cat. Mm. Um, I have basically eliminated cat odor from my house i know that's the kind of thing insane people say because they're really used to the smell of cat piss yeah, yeah. um but like people will visit me like yeah i can't smell anything mm-hmm. like Derek came over and was looking at the cat litter and he's like i see the turds <laughs> i don't smell the turds yeah uh so just yeah. a little buzz marketing if people if they want to send me a bunch of free shit mm-hmm. uh pretty litter cat litter uh is exceedingly good yeah you got me on, on the pretty tip. litter train yeah you yeah. you and nick did uh, yeah yeah, it's really good. Mm-hmm. Um, it doesn't, uh, it's small. So in terms of tracking, it's a little bit worse. Yeah. But yeah. I have not, I went from like frequently smelling pocket shit to never smelling pocket shit. Mm-hmm. And it's improved our relationship tenfold. <laughs> like, imagine if you could do that with your grandpa, you know, or your dad or something. <laughs> you know, yeah. you didn't have to like, you know, take a shower in his leftovers. Like, <laughs> just... yuck, yuck, man. <laughs> it happens, dude. Yeah, but no, just I, 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 you know, this is this is a slightly older question. This is a holdover. I don't know what you decided to do, but uh, owning a cat, uh, inviting an animal friend into my life is one of the best best decisions I ever made. So yeah, pro move, pro, pro move, move as a human. Yep, like we'll make you more human. We'll make mm-hmm. you yeah yeah. It's good. Uh, um, oh, next question. You. Uh, this will be you. Uh, Sam uh, asks. Uh, as somebody who moved to another state, I've actually been socializing with more old friends since the quarantine. Mostly it's been Facebook or Zoom chats with the friends and family reaching out and online D&D games with friends across the country. I'm curious uh, if y'all have noticed this as well. My socializing has changed zero since um, quarantine. 
which on one not applicable uh, not, yeah i'm not, not teasing i'm teasing <laughs> <laughs> yeah um that is a thing that really should concern me actually but no it has not been uh it has not been a thing that has really affected me so i i, I will i will bow out of this one uh it has affected me a lot but i have not been hanging out with more with my old friends i've checked in on my old friends just because it's like it's hell times yeah yeah um i i hate for somebody who talks on skype for a living uh or voip uh, for a living i hate uh zoom socializing like mm -hmm. i thought i'd be okay with it and i'm really not um you know i've done that to catch up with some friends and it just always feels awkward and i don't yeah. have to do with my hands and i just i really don't like it mm -hmm. um uh, we do uh, game night over over discord and it's okay like i've had fun doing that but it's not even close to the same and it, i don't like it very much yeah so. A thing that is not accounted for in Zoom in in Zoom conversations that I think is uh, you know I, I know for, for for me it is something that feels necessary is oftentimes when I am like catching up with somebody like personally we're not sitting there looking directly at each other like we are both looking at a at a third thing you know yeah yeah either like we're decidedly like looking at the TV or you know we're looking at a fire uh, if we're outside You're ordering. You know, you're ordering from a restaurant. Yeah. A concert's about to start. Like the idea you're walking through a store, mm -hmm. like the idea of conversation being aided by constant stimulus is mm -hmm. real. Yes. Like extremely real. Some of my mm -hmm. favorite like social memories are walking through like a store or a convention or something. Mm hmm with somebody and you have like a, a nonstop stream of shit to like goof on or yeah. prompts, you know, uh, like park yeah, benches. Really how, how amazing are park benches, Gary? Yeah. You can watch <laughs> people. You can like, it's just, it's so good. Like having uh -huh. a steady stream of that stuff is really important. Yeah. That's a really good point. Cole. Like I, I hadn't really thought about that, but that's, that's a huge thing that's missing. Mm -hmm. Huge. Yeah. Uh, so, and like, you know, it's, it's not it's not that I am like especially uncomfortable looking people in the face. That's that's fine. I just don't think like in natural conversation we we do that very much. You know, yeah. So like that's part of why it's really off putting for me. Like it is, it feels way too locked in and focused and like intrusive to me. It very much so. It's like this like just direct like mind meld yeah kind of thing, and it's it's weird. Uh -huh. You know, even when I'm like hanging out with Emma, like. We'll like lounge around, even when we're not watching anything. Mm -hmm. We're not like just staring in each other's eyes, <laughs> like in, in a Zoom. You know. It's also you're not staring in the eyes; you're staring in the camera. Yep. Yeah. So to them, you're looking a little bit up, at least with mm -hmm. the way my camera is. Yep. So it's just weird. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, I, I've done it a few times just to keep in touch with people who I really want to keep in touch with, but yeah. I can't say that I've ever like, like I come off the call and I'm like, it was nice to like talk to them and make sure they're doing okay. Mm -hmm. But I really just want this to end so I can go back to hanging out. Yes. Um, which I'm not, you know, that is not an invitation for everyone to tell me how naive and how long that will be. No, no, we, we, we understand, you know, normal yeah. is, nor, you know, normal is not going to happen. So, yeah, like, yeah, I get it. But yeah, it's it, also what I want. Yes. <laughs> it's fine. to It's fine so. to mourn something that is gone. <laughs> like you can yeah. want it. Yeah. You need to, to be the mourn police. Yes. Yeah, it's probably worth noting when we do these shows, we don't have any video on. I don't know that I could do it if if that was the case. Yeah, yeah. I uh, We do game night. We started doing it with the video because mm -hmm. it was too hard to keep the rhythm uh, up with that many people. Mm -hmm. 
Um, I think the fact that we can do these without that is because it's just, it's, and I do all the shows without video. Yeah. Like I don't record yeah. a video with Jeremy or, or Will either. And I think it's because it's just the two of us. Mm-hmm. You know, if we had like a panel, it would be a lot more difficult. Yes. Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm just, I'm, you know, I've been doing uh, the level remotely with those, with those same people for so long that it's not really a problem, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Yep. 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 Um, let's see here. Marcus asks, what is the best part of working remotely? Uh, do you have any advice for people like many teachers, et cetera, um, having to do it full time? First off, I do not envy teachers um, who need to make that switch. I can't imagine trying to control um, 20, 30 uh, incomplete humans um, from a distance like that. That seems like a nightmare, I, I... especially if my training was not in doing that. I envy them slightly more than the ones that are just being told to go back to school. With, uh, <laughs> yeah. No, you know, no you know changes I mean, it, or anything. Yes, that, that, that is, yeah. <laughs> they <laughs> might live. Saying, yeah. Uh, yeah. You know? no, they're, they're, yeah. They're not being sent into the, into the line of fire. Yeah. Uh, it's possible. They'll survive. <laughs> so that's a good thing. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's uh, that, that's gotta be, be rough stuff. Um, I feel like you might have more for this because I, I came to this real naturally um, working from home, working remotely was really easy for me. And all the mm-hmm. best things are just like, yeah, Yahtzee, I get to wear my underwear. Uh, <laughs> but some people, it is more of a transition. Yeah. Um, so for me, like my first big boy job that I ever got, you know, like we didn't have an office when we, when, when, when I started working for the agency that I worked for. So there was a work from home component built into it. So there really wasn't that much of a transition for me I, I, either. Um, you know, so like I had these skills kind of built in from those, you know, six months where I was doing that job specifically where there were clients and, you know, other people on the creative team who depended on my output. Um, mm-hmm. You know, like that was that was a OK. And I developed like the compensatory muscles to, you know, <laughs> to figure out a way to stop working. Uh, and what that took was having panic attacks and getting on medication, um, and, you know, realizing that like, oh, you can't always be working. Like you need to have a, you need to have a way to, a a way to cut it off. Um, and that involved like negotiating expectations with the people that I was working with. Um, I think that one of the things that you're going to run into as a point of, uh, friction, uh, if, if you are freshly moving to a work from home is that there are more negotiations and there are, um, different assumptions about the ways that people will spend their time, uh, and the ways that people will work and when they will work. And I think that you need to understand what is going to be best for you and be assertive about that while being flexible enough to, you know, work, work for the team. But like, yeah, you, you know, if you find yourself that you are constantly working on your like supervisor's schedule and that is untenable for you, that is not going to be a good long-term arrangement. Yeah. And that that goes for working in person too. Yeah. Right. It's just kind of remotely. I think that the, the shift to working remotely that happened with the pandemic has really underlined how, you know, and this, I'm not the first person to make this point. Um, a lot of jobs can be done remotely. And a lot of the things that we uh, consider as part of uh, uh, givens mm-hmm. for office work are pretty arbitrary. Yeah. Yeah. You know, um, including things like, you know, keeping the exact same schedule. Like that makes sense when you're doing synchronous work. But when you're doing asynchronous work, like in, in general, mm-hmm. uh, it is okay to like 
you know, I think that those things have been relaxed a little bit. Yeah. So it's probably a little easier to to draw those boundaries and and say like, hey, like I am not somebody who who does all of my best work in the afternoon. Mm-hmm. You know, I want to get all my stuff done in the morning. Yeah. Uh, you know, it just like when I work best. Like I mm-hmm. in general, you know, if if the American work ethic like was taken out behind a shed and shot and everyone was allowed to do that, productivity in this country would go up so high. Mm-hmm. I, I think about how many just man hours I wasted working in office and were just garbage because I got up too early mm-hmm. and, you know, was working between the hours of eight and like 11. Yeah. You know, the uh, the, the the classic uh, the, the, you know, the classic this could have been an email meeting. You know, that was yeah. the majority of my meetings that were Almost not like every meeting that, you know, that like the majority of those meetings that that was not like actively working with other people to like come up with something creative. Right. Like story plan meetings needed to happen uh, like that. Like that was a that was a place where being in the same room and bouncing ideas off each other very quickly was necessary. But like administrative stuff that didn't need to it never needed to happen. Yeah. 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 <clears throat> absolutely so hopefully you know that's something that good can come out of this and and can be something people can take forward yeah people people that i have talked to um as well who have made the who have made the shift or made the transition also finds that they are getting the same amount of work done in much much less time yeah you know and just like you know i've had to like talk to them like this this has been the case with, with with my brother you know, you know, who made a pretty big shift. He works for a government, government agency, government office, and he was feeling like conflicted about it. And it's like, stop thinking about being paid. You know, stop thinking about it as you being paid for the hours that you work. Think about it as being paid for your output. <laughs> like yeah. separate those two things because that's literally what it is. <laughs> you know? And that's what it always should have been yes. from the start. Like, and we don't need to go into a whole thing about how <laughs> Americans' attitudes towards work is diseased and uh-huh. wretched, but it is diseased and wretched. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and I work harder and better and am more satisfied doing this than any other job I ever had in my life. And obviously part of it is because it's more interesting, but the other part of it is is that that direct result of being paid for my efforts as opposed to just filling out a punch card yeah. and putting in the, you know, being a warm body in a spot. <laughs> uh, I never feel that alienation from my work Yeah. now. And that is such a deeply dehumanizing part. That is just something that most people are just expected to just take for granted. Yeah. Like, yeah, it actually doesn't matter. You work harder, nothing better happens. You work less, nothing worse happens. Mm-hmm. You just have to be there. Uh, yeah. That is such a horrible status quo yeah it's uh, uh really alienating is the word that i would use yeah. for it yeah kafka-esque yeah, yeah it's <laughs> kafka-esque um yeah uh this is me yes uh another mark mark <laughs> asks uh knowing your fondness for halloween all things spooky do either of you have any favorite local legends haunts or scary stories even if they turn out to be pretty mu- pretty mundane in real life visiting spots like that is a fun weekend trip for my wife and i whenever autumn rolls around for instance a few years back we took some friends to centralia pa which is supposedly the basis for uh, uh for the town in the silent hill 2006 film complete with an underground coal mine fire that's been burning since 1962 yeah just gonna swing by centralia look at the look at the abandoned houses breathe a bunch of very poison air yeah <laughs> it would be cool uh, to visit centralia i was unaware that you could uh that you could get there um i thought I, that yeah, it was I cut know. off i thought it was cut off too maybe you can just see it from a distance maybe 
what you can do for a shockingly affordable price is tour Chernobyl, yeah. which I have priced out many a time. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that is something I really want to do before I die and possibly right before I die. Yeah. Uh, if it doesn't go well. Um, <laughs> so, yeah. Um, yeah. Any, anything lo- uh, lo- lo- local spookies that you do uh, in, uh, in, in, in uh, either Portland or in Oregon? Uh, no. No. I mean, like I went and did the, the Shanghai tunnels, which were spooky and cool. And there's like haunted, you know, rumors about that. Um, and then in my hometown, there are a couple of abandoned properties that were spooky, but there was never mm. any like cool legend around them because we weren't imaginative enough. Yeah. As kids. No. Um, the biggest one is one that I've talked about for a long time, but here in Ohio, uh, or yeah, here in Mansfield, North central Ohio, the Ohio state reformatory, obviously, um, the filming site for Shawshank Redemption and a couple of other movies. Uh, my family works there. Like they worked there long before I grew up, like back to my grandparents. And now my little sister works there as like a, like a, like a media producer for their, uh, um, you know, like internal, like production and promotion team. Uh, so like it, it is absolutely like five generations of my family have worked in this big spooky Gothic castle looking prison that throughout Mm. my life has gone through like varying phases of repair and disrepair. Um, I love spending time there because it is a spooky enough building because actual horrible things have happened there. I don't believe in hauntings at all, but I do believe that, you know, existing in a place where terrible things happened does put you into a different state of mind. Let's say, uh, I, I love that building and it's really, weird to square that away with how much i hate prison in general but i my favorite building is a prison <laughs> yeah yeah nothing nothing wrong with that like a spooky old prison mm-hmm. doesn't mean so like i love asylums but i don't necessarily like <laughs> like the way those are treated i just think they're cool yeah yeah oh yeah. gosh for a uh um for a college course it was like madness and literature or something like that it was like an honors course that was like a co-taught between the literature department and the psychology department for that, we got to there was an like basically an abandoned psych ward on campus that was completely mm. like walled off, like blocked off. It was like part of the hospital that was part of the campus. We got to go and tour that, um, and that was really cool. Just like go <laughs> walking into the bowels of this building that like the janitors just kind of stopped paying attention to um, was yeah, real fun. That's cool. Yeah, that that was a, that was a good opportunity again to see a place where very awful things happened. Yeah, I love that shit. Yeah. Look me up. Uh, move on to media questions here. What does Brad say? Brad says, what music are you guys listening to lately? Uh, feel free to ignore this if there's a better venue. But since there isn't a try this type show right now, I'm curious. Quarantine and constant work from home has found me revisiting a lot of music that I haven't listened to since 10 plus years ago. Uh, same, actually. I have found myself like going back and like just like watching live YouTube performances, sometimes like very bad, like fan cam performances of bands mm-hmm. that I uh, like that I'm nostalgic for. Um, you yeah. know, like sometimes like going back to like the nineties, like, Oh, this is an eel set from 1997. Cool. I'm going to watch this because it makes me feel good. Yeah. The, the, the quarantine turning everybody into this like self eating snake kind of thing in terms of pop culture (laughs) i've been really happy to hear how universal that's been because like you know it's been a lot of reading comics and shadow run source books and listening to old music and watching the simpsons and Mm -hmm. seinfeld and stuff like a lot of retreating into the past yeah i'm Uh, locked in my house i'm locked around all of my things which are a marker of that past yeah i mean you have the internet as well which is 
a marker of everything. But <laughs> right. Who has the energy to get into a new band now? Oh, you know, that's, that's amazing to me that people can do it. Uh, the closest I've done is this is the year I finally have gone deep on uh, Moonface, uh, okay. Spencer Krug's uh, solo mm-hmm. project. Um, you know, I get into like one Spencer Krug project a year. Mm-hmm. Uh, it feels like, and that's this year. And it's well, great. And you'll never catch up because he does two, three new projects a year. So He he doesn't, actually. He doesn't nope. do his... You're thinking of Guided by Voices. They put out like <laughs> no, six I'm, albums a year and multiple. I'm just making uh, a, making an observation about how prolific he is. Yeah. He does... Uh, it's a it's a real pro-Patreon. He writes mm-hmm. like a song a month. Oh, wow. Uh, and they're just kind of like demoed. Uh, so they're not like fully produced usually, but they're all really good. Mm-hmm. Um, he's in a really good spot songwriting wise. Nice. Um, and he's going to start doing uh, live concerts once a month mm. uh, on the Patreon. So it is, it is a good Patreon. Oh, I had no idea. Um, yeah. Uh, but yeah, it's uh that's been basically the new shit I've gotten into, which is not new whatsoever. Nope. Uh, I've been yeah. listening to a lot of old stuff. Lots of live Shearwater sets. Cause that's who I am. And I'm not going to pretend otherwise. Yeah. Especially not now with yeah. energy to pretend. <laughs> Um, Kale asks, uh, this is a question, a uh, question about shows. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've got a normal question, then a stupid hypothetical. First, if you wouldn't mind, I'm curious what your weekly schedules look like. You guys put out a lot of content, uh, much of which requires consuming a not insignificant amount of media, then adding recording and editing on top of it. It seems like you'd almost never have any free times to play games for fun or socialize. Uh, yes. Mm-hmm. It does seem like that. Um, yeah, the stupid <laughs> hypothetical. Uh, would you rather be forced to quit podcasting for good or be forced to do an in-depth bonfire side chat style show about the Kingdom Hearts franchise? I mean, if I was forced to do it, I would do it my way and find a way to make it fun. I don't know that I want to give up my livelihood and also a thing that I really enjoy doing just because of a mandatory thing. Like, I would do the Kingdom Hearts show and fucking roast it. Yeah, it would be it would nobody would have fun. No. But in no. this in this scenario, like a genie is making us do it or something. Mm-hmm. You know, so like we'd satisfy the terms of the geese. <laughs> yeah. You know, I it would take up a lot of time. I don't think we could do that on top of everything because mm-hmm. those games are long and horrendous and <laughs> you know, it would take <laughs> up a they, lot of mental bandwidth. Yeah, it would sap it would sap some measure of our soul. Yeah. But I would still do that rather than like go work at a target. Yeah, fuck that. You know. Uh, so yeah, it would suck though. Mm-hmm. And and again, I can't emphasize to you how not fun it would be. Mm-hmm. Like everybody liked that waypoint thing where they kind of made fun of it. Uh, that was but because also, they find they, it at least a little like amusing. Yeah, yeah, they actually like it a little bit. They're open minded. I'm not open minded about it. I there's there's <laughs> there's no. Uh, I would have no fun. I would just be disgusted by the fact that it exists and that people like it. Yes, for the entire time. Mm-hmm. Uh, it'd be like a two minutes hate. <laughs> except it would be many many more hours yeah it'd be way more than two minutes yeah and way more frequently than the two minutes hate <laughs> like just like what it would be like a reverse spa yeah for me and everyone listening to it just like a real gross foul purging like the, like the only thing that might be a little bit fun is like going back and like doing an episode about like tron i know we've already done that but like you know it's not that there are no good properties that are reflected in that. It's just that the there are a lot of good properties. Yeah, we could do an episode about Final Fantasy. You uh, know, right. like there are things like, you know, like is remember when that series used to have anything to do with Final Fantasy? <laughs> like, there's a lot of things we could do with mm-hmm. it like that. But we'd have to like talk about Organization Thirteen, how there are yeah. fourteen members in it, and like all Dumb. this shit. 
Yeah. I heard that. That was a real shocking moment. <laughs> it's like how the, the, the Big Ten has 11 teams in it. Yeah. Or 12 yeah, I now, really I don't like yeah. that. Like, oh, we tricked you. <laughs> we tricked you the same way the Ben Folds 5 tricked me. Like, extremely clever. Yeah. Or, five, or five, five fighting. Five for fighting. Yeah. It's just, just yeah. you. It's the one guy. Yeah, man, it's just, it's not that clever. Like, it's not, not, you know, it's not hilarious either. It's not like, oh, I love it. It's, it's so dumb. No, it just, it's just so dumb. Yeah. You know? uh, for, 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 for the other question, um, I mean, I think that I, I record three, four days a week, something like that, uh, oftentimes in the afternoon, like with a level where we record uh, late in the evening. Um, mornings are usually when I do uh, uh, play and things like that editing happens on the off days when i'm not recording um and yeah i pretty much do it you know if i'm playing for a show i you know do it even outside of like scheduled hours there's no like fixed schedule for anything that i do aside from agreed upon times that we record yeah same like typically i record with cole uh every monday thursday most tuesdays Mm -hmm. wednesday tends to be a over like a day that i record with jeremy Mm mm-hmm um, Wednesday or Friday, whichever one of those I don't record with Jeremy is like an overflow day Yeah, where I do editing or I hammer in some play mm-hmm. that I haven't been doing. Yeah. Um, and then I try to keep weekends free, but oftentimes end up playing games Yeah, uh, for the show mm-hmm. during weekends. Yeah. So. Like I'm looking back at a, like a calendar of my play that I've, that, that I've done, you know, just completed uh task on my busy Cal here. And like, yeah, a lot of the play ends up happening like on Wednesdays, a lot of it on like, um, you know, weekends, um, Tuesdays, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's uh, it, it's been interesting to kind of see that, like as I cross off, like, oh, I finished this little area, like, you know, looking at this, you know, this past weekend, I finished uh, Augur of Darkness. So I've got like all of those mm-hmm. areas marked off here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But yeah, no fixed schedule, just uh, just agreed upon times to record and getting the work done when it, ne- when it needs to be done. Yeah. Uh, let's do the lightning round and then the topic. Yes. Uh, so Cthulhu Relief Latagan uh, asks, do you prefer Pop-Tarts or Strudels? I recognize that a Strudel may be a much more sensory pleasing product, but I am nostalgic for Pop-Tarts. I have had Pop-Tarts since we talked about them on the network. Um, I got like a bot, like a sample or box. From uh, mm. for, from Sam's Club, uh, with blueberry, strawberry, uh, like this brown sugar, cinnamon, and the s'mores, um, mm-hmm. and that has been very good. I've like had like two of those a week since I got one of those, since I got that box, and they yeah. uh, take me back as part of my general regression. It is a uh, yeah, uh, food <laughs> is part of it as well. Yeah, um, the uh, yeah, I, I think that if I had a choice, I would choose strudels, but they feel rarer. Yeah. To me, uh, I know I can just buy both of them in the store. So there's nothing <laughs> rare about it. It's like rare books. Like you can just go to a store and buy them. There's nothing rare about it. Right. Um, you know, there's nothing rare about strudels, but I like the taste of those more, even though I eat more Pop-Tarts, by which I mean 10 a year. Right, right. Um, um, well, strudels need to be kept in the fridge or the freezer, which I think adds to the difficulty of them too. Yeah. 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 Difficult, but worth it. Right, the Dark right. Souls of Toaster <laughs> Patriots. Yeah. Uh, Joseph asks, uh, is there any chance that you guys will end up doing RE6? Sure. Yeah. I don't see why not. We both yeah, like that I, game. I almost guarantee it if yeah. the show goes on long enough. Like, mm-hmm. we will do all of the mainline Resident Evil games. Yeah. 
and we've done almost all of them now <laughs> yeah like, well, like we feel comfortable setting that goal because we are most of the way there yeah because we only have two more uh, <laughs> to do but we will probably like that series is really close to the absolute dead center of our venn diagrams yeah yeah of interest is there another series that we both like if you took the average of our liking that we both like i mean as much uh, like fallout is mostly in there um yeah yeah. yeah no but our like re definitely yeah no and, and both of us are like on record as being kind of defenders of six too you know yeah, yeah. like we've, we've talked about resident evil six so much on the level just because all of us have played it at different times jala is a huge advocate for it like we did a stream of resident evil six yeah like yeah. it's a it's it's an absurd and flawed game but i think that there's stuff to talk about there yeah yeah there way i mean i like those those re those like late re's are things i like Mm-hmm. So, um, so absolutely. Yeah. Um, David writes, all the talk about Devil May Cry and Dante's coolness got me thinking, which video game character do you think has the best or worst taste in music, assuming that they have or get access to music from our world? Mm. This is hard. Um, I would say that the protagonist of Manhunt probably has really bad taste in music. Ooh, yeah. Yeah, probably a lot of, like, just really, like, sludgy, like, shock metal kind of stuff to it. Um, Or at the very least, like, getting into some, you know, I don't know. Anything that I say is going to be, like, specific and draw a uh, a defender. But just picture the worst of, like, Stained or whatever is what I imagine that that, that monster, that carnage without a symbiote gets into. Yeah. 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 Uh, Dante's really up there. Yeah. Yeah. he wouldn't, this wouldn't be the worst taste in music, but the person I would least want to talk about music with is Alan Wake. Yes. Um, he, I think Alan Wake probably has okay taste in music, even though I'm sure he loves you too. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, I think that's than, definitely uh, like early YouTube, but he would be very, very like enthusiastic about it. Yeah. Like early to mid YouTube. Like he would consider like up to, you know, nineties. Uh, yeah. Like he'd be like yeah. pretty defensive of pop. Mm-hmm uh you too um but he'd probably like he'd listen to some music that like was good as well but it would be intolerable to talk to him about it mm-hmm. um yeah chris redfield would have annoying taste in music yeah a lot of uh, jock especially jams now, it got worse <laughs> like as he got bulkier yeah yep. <laughs> gotta get his pump on <laughs> yeah it's just like it's only like angry motivation workout music uh-huh you know and then, like, his version of the save room is Evanescence or some <laughs> shit. Like, he puts that on to, yeah. to, to do cooldowns. Like, mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah. Like, that'd be pretty rough. As far as good music. taste in music, this is, the, like, the, this is tough. Um, like, the what? Uh, Wayne Newton in Fallout has really good taste in music. <laughs> yeah, he, he absolutely does. The DJ. Yeah. Mr. New Vegas. Uh-huh. Uh, I, I would say most of the Fallout DJs mm-hmm. have good taste in music. Yeah. Uh, Travis from Fallout 4, that's my favorite Fallout soundtrack. Mm-hmm. Uh, mostly because it encompasses the other ones. Yeah. And it adds yeah. some really killer, you know, additions. Mm-hmm. But that's really good. I think that uh, I uh, bet you, uh, you know, just to, because of recency bias, but I bet you Harry from Disco Elysium has good Disney yeah. music. Yeah. Like, I like Disco. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's got a really open mind. Yeah. Yeah. I, th- I think, I think mm-hmm. Harry would have a really good pop sensibility to him. Yeah. Yeah. You know, really like, like, oh, this, this song, you know, this is good. Yeah. You know, I think he'd be, he'd maybe take all comers maybe a little bit too much, but yeah, that's yeah. better than, than just enjoying Godsmack mm-hmm. or whatever. Yeah. Um, 
I think, I think, I think that's a good answer. I think that we, we, we've hit it there. It's more fun to talk about the bad taste of music than anything. Oh yeah. Yeah. It's easier as well. Um, <laughs> Holland asks, uh, what's your favorite console controller conceptually and to actually use, uh, two different questions. Um, conceptually, I really like the GameCube controller, although I think that it's not that great to, you know, in, you know to use in your hands. The idea it's so of weird how many people go to bat for that. Like I see so much love for the GameCube computer. I, I see or GameCube I, uh, controller. <laughs> GameCube computer. Uh, no, I, I like the idea of recognizing that certain buttons are, you know, going to be, you know, more commonly pressed. Um, I think that if, you know, just designing around what is going to be most frequently used is, is, is good. Um, but I think that just like general in general, as like a sculpture, as like a thing that you hold in your hand, I think that it's, that there's just enough that is off about it, but like, yeah. It's got that crime D pad. Yeah. The, the, the D pad is a crime. Well, they, they, they were designing, they, they, they thought that the D pad was on its way out. Like, yeah, but they were super wrong. It was designed. It was like designed it, with priorities. They were wrong priorities. I don't think it's wrong to design with priorities, though. I mean, I, I think that's the risk you run, though, right? Yeah. Like whenever yeah. you do that, you're saying like, "This is just how games will be." Yeah. And 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 that's why, like the the you know the the PlayStation, you know, kind of template like the that is a, a bigger, better version of like the Super Nintendo controller, like mm-hmm. persists for so long. Yes. Because it's kind of future proof. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know? no, the like favorite to use. I mean, uh, toss up between DualShock Four and I got an Xbox One controller uh, for my mm-hmm. PC. Um, man, that's a really good controller. Like both of those are like it, it's especially the Xbox One controller has like the right like girth to it. Like it really just yeah, it like you know has has places for your hand to make contact on it. Yeah, I think that controller design has just gotten better. Yeah. Uh, conceptually, I'm going to say the Resident Evil 4 chainsaw controller, <laughs> and then to actually use, I will say the DualShock 4. Yeah, uh, is my fave. Yeah. Um. So let's get into the uh, get into the topic. Uh, well, there's one last lightning oh, round. Oh, there is. There Sorry. Yes. That is tied to things, and it's it's vaguely different right. than the last one. Yeah. Um, I uh, think this is this is worth addressing. Th- this is. I did not mean to skip this. Uh, Rick asks, uh, "What makes a good cat?" Cuddliness, chonkiness, being talkative. Cole, do you think you can identify these traits in the kitten that you're getting? Uh, no, I don't think I can. Um, you know, I think that so much is uh, written in pencil with a cat that small. Like, the cat is literally, like, two, three weeks old at this point. Um, you know, it is not scared of me, and it doesn't beep very much or meow very much, but all that can change. So, yeah, you know, I don't have control. It's just living in a barn. Um, but as yeah. for what makes a good cat, I'll allow you to do that first, Gary, because you've been with cats for longer. Um, I like a cat that is uh, like I like a, a a complicated cat has been my favorite kind of cat mm-hmm. um, in general. Like both Roars and Pocket have had uh, complications to them, mm-hmm. uh, not in terms of like medical complications, but like Pocket is spicy and Roars was skittish. Mm-hmm. But that makes the moments when they're not that feel more special to me. Yeah. Um, so like when Roars would come out and be affectionate with me, um, but not with other people that made me feel special and pocket, uh, spending his day kind of being spiced can be pretty annoying. Mm-hmm. Um, but then him, uh, you know, just deciding to just like be an absolute sweetheart, um, just always takes me by, not by surprise cause it happens daily, mm-hmm. but, uh, just feels really like nice. Yeah. Like to me, the thing that makes a cat, a good cat is, uh, 
not being 100% a dog. Like, <laughs> right, right. Not, you know, to, to quote the cat's movie, a cat <laughs> is not a dog. Um, <laughs> yeah. The uh, Where it's like they're not just desperate and greasily, uh, you know, looking for approval. They're uh, their own being. Yeah. Like I like I like a cat who's his own person. Yeah, um, I'm I'm down with all of that. I think you know, like physically, you know, the idea of like, oh, if it's chunky or whatever, every cat's its own cat. I, I don't have like yeah. a real a real preference on that. Um, you know, I think that things that I like in Greta, she is curious and confident. Like with mm-hmm. the exception of like, if a contractor comes over and makes a bunch of noise, she is always you know like up there looking at new people. She has been very sociable when I've had like family over and stuff. She's not like hid, and that's very cool. Um, she's very affectionate, but like in predictable scenarios. So like, you know, it's kind of weird how regular she is, where she usually doesn't bother me at my desk, except for in the early afternoon when she hops up and she wants to be held. Yeah. <laughs> right. You know, and she never really uh does any of that elsewhere. Uh, she, you know, doesn't really like being in bed with me. She'll come in and check on me in the morning, but not like wake me up. Um, but like if I'm sitting on the recliner or sitting on the couch, she wants to be on my lap. Mm-hmm. So like, she's curious, confident and predictable and affectionate without being needy. Uh, she's a very yeah. good cat. Yeah. Uh, all, all cats can be good cats. Yes. You know, just, uh, just treat them right and give them respect. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, if you treat them as a, a sentient entity, they'll 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 do well by you yeah and you know let let, let them decide let them come to you because they will yeah aesthetically i love a fat cat yeah like if we're, we're just saying what's good in a cat like to to look at <laughs> or to touch yeah, yeah like give me an incredibly overweight cat <laughs> uh i love that shit yeah a medicine yeah. ball with legs like <laughs> that is what i want yeah uh moving on to our topic yeah um so this will be you since i read the cat yeah uh douglas asks and there's a question that relates to this as well so we're kind of doing two for one yes um douglas says uh falling out of love with video games i've noticed throughout my life i go through long stretches of not playing games sometimes years the time near the end of the ps2 and most of the ps3 is a black hole for my gaming memory and just recently uh the ff7 remake seemed to actively turn me off games for a few months at least have you ever had any spells such as these or persistent precipitated it uh what got you back in perhaps it's too small for a topic but hey there it is it is not too uh, small for a topic yeah like we'll, we'll see what what happens i don't have a ton of things planned but i think this is a really universal experience at least uh, in terms of myself and people i've talked to so it's worth thinking about yes we both have these um the question uh that was uh skipped over a little bit earlier rick writes uh is this actually the same person no okay douglas is different than rick okay they spell and pronounce their names differently. <laughs> uh since starting shelter in place i've already gone through a few cycles of weeks uh where i get through tons of games and weeks where i'm just not interested in the hobby uh do you experience periods of gaming fatigue at all what tends to send you into them life events taking on too beefy of a game encountering a dud uh what seems to trigger the end of them for you um, um yeah yeah Two, two, two things to get out of the way at the start of this. We have answered questions about this before. Like people have asked like, Hey, what do I do about this? It just accept that it's fine. You know, things are going to ebb and flow naturally in your life in relation to, uh, things. 
So, like, you don't need to feel like you are failing games by not playing them or no. keeping up. Additionally, quarantine is an additional wrinkle on this. Everything about our environments is changing, and that is going to change our attitudes about this stuff as well. So, yeah, we're not we're not meant to do this. No, like we were not designed to to do what we're doing. Right. Um. You know, in terms as a people right now so everything that happens to you is okay mm -hmm. basically like if you're feeling a thing like not only are you not feeling yourself by video games you're also not feeling yourself by thinking that in the first place mm -hmm. uh you know nothing it, you're okay yeah. give yourself as much grace as possible yeah um i i had uh i have i have like a big version of these and then like a small version mm -hmm. and small versions happen with some frequency uh, you know, a couple times a year, I'll just have stretches where I'm like, this just doesn't sound good. Mm -hmm. And then, uh, the big period I had was similar to Douglas's, um, near the end of the PS2 into the PS3. It's weird. Uh, the same for me. Maybe it wasn't a good generation. It's possible. There's like good stuff there, but maybe that was not, <laughs> you know, a great time. Well, what, what did that coincide with in your life? Uh, moving out to Portland and honestly, uh, getting a, a computer that I could play games mm -hmm. and playing fewer games because I was playing more of them or playing, uh, not more of them. <laughs> no, no, no. Sorry, playing games that are longer. Yeah. That's what yeah. I meant to say. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Uh, so like instead of, uh, just kind of always looking for something new, it's like, I'm going to play oblivion for a few months. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Uh, just kind of poke at this when I have spare time. Mm-hmm. I, so what I would find is like oftentimes when I've, when I've gone through these, you know, kind of droughts personally, it's not that I'm playing that, that like that I'm not playing games. It's that mm -hmm. I like retreat into something that feels familiar and comfortable. So like, it is yeah. less about like expanding outward and keeping up with stuff, you know, like, and when this, you know, when this happened, which I would like categorize broadly as like, let's say 2004 to 2007, Mm -hmm. uh for for me is 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 roughly when you know that, that roughly circumscribes um when i like when the when this happened for me like that was the end of high school and the beginning of college for me i graduated high school sure. in 2006 and you know went to college uh that same year uh like the thing that broke me out of like keeping up with new stuff was um uh halo 2 coming out and like my uh, multiplayer group just kind of like breaking up, breaking apart because like we just couldn't agree to, you know, that like playing that was good. Uh, additionally, like online multiplayer uh, broke apart, like the, you know, the local play made it less of like mm -hmm. a thing that we would do habitually. So like that was a bummer. Uh, fewer people to talk about games with. There was, you know, not really the impetus, to like keep up with what was happening uh, at that time as well. Like I was still primarily like reading reading uh magazines when they would come out i wasn't really following game coverage online um so like that combined with like doing high school theater and show choir and golf and academic challenge like i had a lot of stuff going on and then ultimately like going to college and mostly like playing old stuff in the dorms with the people who would eventually become to form the level um before jolly joints you know um mm -hmm. You know, so I like playing like RE4 there with them or whatever. But like the thing that really got me back into games and excited was um, I remember specifically it was like 2007 when Mass Effect and Rock Band came out on the same day. And that was like, you know, starter pistol basically for me, like getting back into shit. There's definitely like I now you say that there was actually um, around that same time. I also had a, a low period. Yeah. Um, like I did my my CRPG uh, Team Fortress 
period where I moved back in with my mom for uh, like half a year mm-hmm. in my early 20s. And then when I moved out again, I lived in an apartment with uh, Derek, mm-hmm. um, with my roommate. We only really played games together. Yeah. Like we, that's what we played like Mario Golf. We would like pass the controller playing Lost Levels. Yeah. Uh, it was really fun, but I didn't have video games set up in my room, mm-hmm. you know, in my, my own room very much and did not really play. Yeah. I don't think I had a TV in my room. Um, and then what got me back into uh, games after that was getting a new computer mm-hmm. uh, eventually. And then when I moved out here, I was off for a while. Um, and then just like got, uh, you know, even when I was off though, like to your point, like certain things would hum in the background. Yeah. Like yeah. I had a, a 360. I could probably count on two hands the number of games I've played on the 360. <laughs> like I don't I haven't played very much on it. Yeah. But I played a lot of Rock Band. Yes. On it. Like if you can consider Rock Band to be its own thing, me and my ex-wife would play that together. Mm-hmm. Um we played tons of Rock Band. Yeah. You know, it wasn't really a video game, it was its own activity. Mm-hmm. And those two different periods, you know, when I was roommates with Derek and when I moved out here coincided with uh, a big major life event and then uh getting serious about being in a band. Yeah. Um just having other stuff to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, can kind of come up and that's okay. Like it is a thing where video games, one of the strengths of the medium is that it can fill in the cracks between the bricks, mm-hmm. you know? So, and if you have fewer bricks, you have more time for, for mortar, Yeah, you know? And, uh, like I play video games less recreationally, like outside of my job when I have a lot more going on, mm-hmm. uh, you know? So like when I was working on books or when, uh, the band is like really flexing, mm-hmm. I play fewer video games recreationally. Yeah as well um that that's a lot of words just to say like when you don't have time for something you do it less uh so like but it's you know you make time like you make time for things Mm -hmm. um and i was less interested in making time for it during those periods yeah yeah you know like in my lull like during that time like late late in high school you know i was the kind of social butterfly who my my main video game project was, you know, like dicking around in EverQuest for like 40 minutes a week and not getting anywhere. But like that's that like that's the time when I like replayed all of the missed games and like made a big notebook out of all that stuff as I was playing them. But like that was yeah. all that I did. Yep. Yeah. yeah. It also it 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 ties into uh like world state stuff, like world tendency. So like right now <laughs> I have been not motivated to play new stuff. Mm-hmm. I've been playing what we're doing for work. Yeah. And then having that feeling of like listlessly looking at games I could play. Yeah. And maybe popping onto the store and like getting something, but nothing grabbing me. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's, that's kind of been the experience I'm in now. And it's just because of world tendency. Yeah. It's just because we're in pure black world tendency. <laughs> right. That, um, you know, but then, the, so that can be a big factor for this. Yeah, uh, for like me. for for me, I find my I, I have found myself playing less. Uh, I mean, a because this summer has been you know we've we've done a lot of big games between Tactics Ogre and Disco Elysium. Both of those were very time yeah. consuming games that also took up a lot of focus and mental energy. But additionally, like you know they they've needed me up on that wall, Gary. Like yeah. I I have needed to be up on that wall doom scrolling watching the fire to make sure it doesn't spread too quickly <laughs> yeah because you're going to do something about it yeah no by watching yeah. it i'm keeping it in check gary yeah exactly i'm up it's on the a, wall it's like I'm on the wall. Schrodinger's world state yeah. <laughs> yeah. um yeah totally like i've been doing that or escaping from doing that by watching simpsons and seinfeld and reading shadow run second edition source books and shit yeah you know as we we talked about like that mm-hmm. kind of escapism can coincide yeah uh yeah. 
one of the reasons why I wanted to do this topic is because I had a one-two punch that is breaking me out of this. Okay. Uh, now, which was uh, something we talked about earlier today in a bonus uh, episode thing, where it was playing the Tony Hawk demo mm-hmm. and feeling excited about a game coming out, like in a concrete way, which I hadn't for a while. Yeah. Uh, even though that is its own retro thing, but. Mm-hmm. Um, and then yesterday I, uh, installed, uh, I was like, I'm going to play through bloodlines. Ooh. Fuck this. And I found a mod that adds a bunch of content. Nice. So I'm doing a modded bloodlines thing. And I was like, I should, let's play this. And then I was like, no, that'll make me not want to do it. <laughs> that, that will turn it into content. No, this Don't is turn for it into me. Work. This is for Just me. Play it. If you want to record a duck feed presents at the end to talk about mm-hmm. it. Great. But don't uh, just have a thing for you. And I <laughs> had the the thing you look to video games for, which is that time travel effect. Mm-hmm. Like yesterday, I started playing it at uh, 4.30. And then it was like 9.30. And I was like, what the fuck happened? Mm-hmm. I, it was awesome. It felt like, uh, you know, whoa. Yeah. Am I, am I, am I 16? <laughs> what the fuck is this? I don't lose you know? hours. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. This, this is great. Yeah. Um, you know, so like I think I'm turning a corner. Mm-hmm. on that but to me they are like they're very influenced by your macro world state like what you're doing in your personal life yeah. and then the grander world state of what's happening in the world yeah uh and it comes and goes it's 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 really weird what'll break you out of it too you know like yeah. for me like i mentioned you know I, I mentioned uh rock band and mass effect for like you know current games but also like there was a you know a summer you know, during college where I just decided like, oh yeah, I'm going to get a hold of like some, a bunch of old weird survival horror games. And like, I got, you know, clock tower three and haunting ground and, you know, echo night beyond and all that. And I just decided to like spend my days playing those too. Just like, Mm -hmm. yeah, I'm just going to, you know, like set aside time to like play through all of these. And it was like playing as a project that I was excited about. Not for like output or content. Right. Yeah. Like giving yourself a, a constraint like that. Like yeah. I feel like doing this thing in order, mm-hmm. you know, can can kind of help with that. It's also like we're talking about this as if it's, you know, at least semi-universal. Like it's really interesting. Uh, one of my all-time best friends who I have a lot of philosophical differences with is, uh, is Will, mm-hmm. you know. And Will doesn't do this. Like Will is constantly chasing the new and will just be like, yeah, I stayed up really late playing this new game. Yeah, uh, and it's just kind of amazing to me. Mm-hmm. Like, I, you know, there's no there's no judgment in that. Like, I don't like there's no, I don't think that there's a qualitative aspect of it. I just think it's really fascinating to see. Yeah, um, you know, somebody who's just like, yeah, I poked around the Steam thing, found this game and beat it this weekend. Mm-hmm. What the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> like, like uh, how did you do that? You yeah, know, what does that mean? It's a weird trick. <laughs> yeah, what what are you what are you doing? You know, oh, you just found an indie point and click adventure game and beat it. <laughs> What are That's you really alien. What? What? Yeah. yeah. Like it's it just, it's just wild to see. So yeah. it's not that universal, but this, you know, people asking at least means that we're not alone yeah, in yeah. having that feeling, which is nice. A good yeah. feeling. Well, yeah. I mean, I think we, we, we both have a similar temperament in that regard. Like I've never felt like an alien with bugs crawling out of my ears for having like yeah. down, down, you know, down times and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, weirdly, something else that has gotten me like excited about playing new stuff is getting this new TV. Hmm. I can um, see that. Yeah, like it's a it's a bigger, nicer TV that like I felt comfortable spending money on because I'm not fucking going anywhere, Gary. I'm not spending yeah. money outside yeah. of the house. So, yeah. but yeah, like I don't know, firing that up and like playing the Tony Hawk demo, which is effectively a 20 year old game with HDR. Like I don't know, that's cool. Like I'm excited yeah. about about sitting in front of this uh, in front of this nicer screen for as superficial as that is. 
Yeah. Yeah. Looking at a prettier box. Yeah. You know, you know? I th- this is really tied into like getting that feeling of new. And this, this could very well be like our advice theme for the entire network is like, <laughs> let yourself off the hook. Yeah. Uh, you know, but a big part of this, I think, um, is when I, when I go into one of these states, a lot of times it's because games have built up in a backlog to where they do feel like an obligation I'm not meeting. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and this is that part from work game, but it will just like, I'll like open up my GOG library. Oh, I'm shit. Like, oh fuck. Why would you like, do that? That's there too. <laughs> you know, like, man, I want to play dragon shard at some point, mm-hmm. you know, and, and start feeling grody about myself or like I own all the spiderweb software where games and I'm sure I would like them, but I haven't played them. Yeah. Fuck. Averno, you know, I barely and, know him. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Like I'll just feel like garbage. <laughs> and then when that fades, because I can't logic myself out of that. No, <laughs> you know, I will try to, I will try to be like, this is stupid, Gary. Uh-huh. You're stupid. This is stupid. You're stupid. And it just, you know, <laughs> weirdly, that doesn't make me feel better. Yeah. I don't, I don't feel happier or better. just berating myself about yeah. it. It just passes. And yeah. then I'm like, you know what? I and I, it's okay that I, I'm not going to play this game I picked up and thought I would play. Uh-huh. If I never play uh, Quantum Conundrum, it's okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, uh, and then I get I get out of it and I start doing stuff I'm interested in, including sometimes I will end up going back to something I'm interested in mm-hmm. uh, because I've let myself off that hook. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. You know, and just, just like a broader thing, like, yeah, you, you got to listen to yourself. You know, like th- there are some things that even if you don't want them, even if you don't feel like doing them, you probably ought to do them. Um, physical mm-hmm. activity, uh, eating a green every once in a while, uh, you, you know, like doing your taxes, like all of that. But like generally for like recreation, if you don't feel like doing something, what are you getting out of making yourself do it? Yeah. You know, you know? The, the, there's a huge masochism component to recreation for a lot of people you just follow just follow your energy i say that and it's a, you know it sounds like an incredibly hippy dippy thing outside of context but like if you are not like you know leaning into um not backdrafts leaning into tailwinds and, av- and avoiding yeah. headwinds like like h- how far are you getting based on your input like enjoyability you know for out of enjoyment right yeah yeah a billion percent like yeah. i cannot the biggest sea change in kind of my posture towards life that has happened in the last like four or five years is me leaning into instinct. Yeah. Like if something, uh, you slapping some mosquitoes there, bud? No, no. I, <laughs> I, 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 from the swamp? <laughs> <laughs> no, sorry. I had a game case that was open. I didn't think it would uh, come through, but apparently it came through quite loudly. <laughs> I snapped it closed, like, Gary. <laughs> uh, yeah, damn bugs. Um, See, Cole talks a big game about how clean his house is, but silverfish are everywhere. Um, <laughs> They're my roommates, Gary. Yeah, yeah. You just talked about let uh, yourself off the hook. <laughs> yeah, let yourself off the hook for your silverfish, everybody. Yeah. Um, the, uh, but just being like, you know what? I, this is what I want, and that's okay. You know, like, it's okay to quite, you know, obviously question shit that's harmful, but eventually mm-hmm. you'll get kind of a, a guiding compass yeah. that will, you know, that kind of comes from experience that eventually will just kind of guide you in a lot of ways, I mm-hmm. think. You know, uh, even, and it's even down to media. Like, I remember when I finally sat down to play uh, Dragon Age, I can actually beat it. I was just like, you know what? That sounds good right this second. Yeah, yeah. And I didn't didn't sit down and examine it. Mm-hmm. I was just like, that sounds good. I played it and I played the second one and, and had a good time. And it was just the right time for it. Yeah. And, you know, that the everything is so complicated. There's so much alchemy 
that is mm-hmm. going on inside your brain that like yeah. having a complete scientific causal understanding of shit like that is a fool's errand, I think. Yeah. It, yeah. it, you know, and again, and again, just a common thing that comes that we, we come back to in these discussions. And I feel like I, it's a, it's a cliche, but they're, you know, different currencies spend differently. You know, it sounds like yeah. what we're saying is like, never lean into resistance, right? Like if you feel yourself saying like, ah, I just, this isn't, this isn't great. Well, like there are a bunch of different kinds of resistances and discernment yeah. and instinct will let you know which resistances to lean into, what is going to be worth it to you, what is going to be edifying, you know, and what is, you know, what is just going to be a garbage way to spend your time that will make you, that will not, you know, build you up in any particular way. Yeah. Right. And and knowing that both those things exist, like, it's not like easy things are good and hard things are bad, but it's also not the opposite. Yeah. You know, like, it is, it is a thing where, like, there is the ability to put in a lot of effort and have it be for naught. Yeah. You know, uh, like, I, I beat the emboss of Sekiro and didn't feel good about it. Right. That was not me leaning into a challenge for personal good. Mm-hmm. Like, I did it for work, but that didn't. That wasn't edifying right. to me. I didn't like it. Um, you know, uh, just as an, you know, we use soul stuff as an example a lot because we do a whole other show on them, but mm-hmm. that's just the, the easy example. Um, that doesn't mean necessarily though, that I should just like, I'm just going to play bejeweled all the time. Right. Like I could, if I want to, but there is a, a space in the middle of being like, I'm not in the mood for that kind of challenge but i am in the mood for like a literary challenge so i will this is a good time to play like disco elysium or torment yeah or something um you know same thing with uh other games i like divinity original sin 2 came out everything i read about it was like this will be my favorite thing in the world mm-hmm. i wasn't in the mood for that resistance yeah at that time and by waiting for me to be in the mood for that resistance which that's an incredibly hard and very deep game mm-hmm. um it became one of my favorite games like it rocketed up my personal charts yeah you know, because I wanted that kind of resistance. So it's not just do easy, easy baby stuff all the time. Right. It's <laughs> know that, uh, like there, like you said, different currencies spend different differently, and it's okay to be in the mood for one. Like the ease of something will be relative to the how ready you are for it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so. you know, I just, I, you know, I, because I hate being misunderstood. I don't want anybody to think that all we're saying is just do what feels good. <laughs> like, you know, yeah. we're, we're not like, what's, what's his name? The, uh, the self-help Brad author. Goodman? Yeah. We're not Brad Goodman. Uh, you know, give, taking good, advice from, <laughs> taking advice from Rudiger, you know, like we're yeah. not, that, 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 that is not what we are, what we are doing. It's more about, you know, discernment. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, find something that like you can have both. Yeah. You don't have to treat life, uh, as a zero sum game mm-hmm. with things. And this, this applies to all kinds of stuff, right. but it doesn't have to be like, uh, I don't want to do this. Therefore it's good for me. Therefore I'll do it. You can <laughs> right. find something that's good for you and you want to do, mm-hmm. yeah. you know, and that's not actually that hard because we live in a world of infinite media. Yeah. You know, it, it can be, it can be hard to have the willpower and the discoverability can be hard, mm-hmm. but it's very possible yeah there's no reason to ever be bored i think that you know boredom has been replaced with discontentment you know yeah. uh, i think i think that 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 is an important thing to you know to, to 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 realize as well and to recognize that like i can't remember the last time i was bored but i can remember like ah just nothing sounds good oh right? i've been depressed all the time <laughs> yeah like, like that's depression you know like shit, I, i'm oh, not bored <laughs> i'm fucking depressed yeah like I, I do that a lot where sometimes i just describe something and realize oh yeah that's just depression okay man, <laughs> cool. it's right. just depression has been the theme for the last couple you know excuse me, last couple weeks yeah just 
Yeah, well, that's yeah. That's, I'm describing depression. <laughs> Damn it! Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> Disregard. No, okay. it, it happens. Yeah. But just the idea that you can have have both, mm-hmm. you know, and it's also like the the kind of easy and hard dichotomy of that kind of stuff. Like if you are going back to, like, I'm not really playing games very much right now. All I'm doing is playing, like, a mobile game from like I'm just playing you know endless golf. Yeah. Uh, golf on Mars for a while on my phone. And that's really mm-hmm. all the gaming I'm doing. It's not necessarily true that that is uh, like a simple valueless carb right. as a thing either. You know, like mm-hmm. it's even if that's just what you're in the mood for, that's good in, in and of itself. Uh, but you can also get things out of that. Like we spent a bunch of time talking about that game, particularly as like what that does. Yeah. yeah. You know, and there's a grand smorgasbord of like feelings you can have. Uh, and the, it, it, you don't always have to aim for like, what would be the most objectively good feeling mm-hmm. to have, you know, or, or rich or like productive yeah. feeling, I think. And I think something that, you know, we've not explicitly said, and maybe it doesn't need a specific mention, but here we are, um, is that, uh, you know, if you are holding yourself to the standard of people that you are reading online, people who are either in the press or are very prolific in talking about new things and like, Oh, they're playing all this new stuff. I feel like I ought to be as well in order to like stay caught up, uh, disabuse yourself of that notion. You are not a, you are not beholden, you know, like the release schedule calendar is not your manager. Yeah. Yeah. Wait, 1 billion percent. Yeah. Like you know. FOMO is a really, un, I think that is an unhealthy yeah. Uh, impulse, mm-hmm. like in general. And I think that uh, I don't see it leading to happiness a lot. Yeah. You know, in, in a general sense, I don't find people being like, yes, I'm really happy that uh, I felt guilty for not being able to be part of this conversation. Yeah. You know, you can want to be part of that conversation, mm-hmm. but the pathologic feelings that come with it of like, if you don't, that's probably something to try to divest yourself of if you're able to. Yeah. Like FOMO you know? can lead to you doing good things, but FOMO wasn't the only way to get you there to yeah. doing something that is edifying or enjoyable. Right. Yeah. You can experience the good side of that without the bad. Yeah. Bad yeah. Like you, you can, like. you know, you can do those things without lashing yourself or holding yourself you know, to somebody else's expectation, you know, even if it's invisible and not directly stated to you. Yeah. That was more, that was more positive than I expected it to be Gary. Well, it's cause we turned it around to our, like, be nice to yourself. <laughs> yeah. That, uh, that we always do, Yeah, which is good. Cause it's a, it's a good, good message. Agreed. So yeah. Uh, let's move on to people's responses, uh, about devil may cry. Yeah. And just a reminder, we'll be doing the disco Elysium responses at the end. Yes. Uh, Moonborn says via contact. And this is the sponsor of the episode, so big thanks to Moon. Mm-hmm. Um, Devil May Cry is another game in a long list that took me many tries to get into. Though a few hours with the game showed me that the fundamentals of the stylish action genre were already starting to take root, there's one key difference that sets it apart. Deliberation. Modern stylish action games, and even some of their more tangential offshoots, operate on a degree of speed and looseness that allows you to mash the attack and dodge to a degree if you don't care about being technical. 
not Devil May Cry, though. The moveset mechanics are simpler and slower to the point where every input counts. You can't panic mash your way through a giant fight against anybody but the lowest level mooks, and boss fights remain just as tense and thrilling as their modern counterparts. I don't wish that modern stylish action as a whole adhered to the style of gameplay, but DMC1 taught me that simpler, more deliberate action games can be just as thrilling as more spectacular ones. I wouldn't say uh, no to more like it, though, or though I suppose that's why Dark Souls exists. Yeah. Or you don't have to go all the way to Dark Souls where combat is extremely deliberate. Um, I think that a nice halfway between Devil May Cry and that is God Hand. God Hand being forever my gold standard of the genre. Yeah. Um, for Make reason. It like it's an incredibly good game. Yeah. yeah, you know, and also like that's not a mashy game like you are, you know, like thinking very clearly about what combos you want to put in. You are thinking very clearly about the consequences of being hit. Yeah. 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 I actually I had a different experience, too, with Devil May Cry. Like I've, I was able to mash more than this. Like a lot of uh, the endless fights against Phantom for me were getting my devil trigger up and then just mashing. Mm-hmm. You know, I did a lot of mashing in Devil May Cry, actually. Yeah. So. I'm not saying that the, it probably wouldn't have been better to use more deliberation, but mm-hmm. in terms of what was required of me and my experiences, yeah, lots of mash. Yep. I think also, you know, the uh, move economy has changed by the fact that there is no uh, easy dodge that you can do. Yeah. 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 Um, Dave writes in via contact saying, uh, Devil May Cry was one of the very first games that I ever owned on my birthday PS2. I like the idea of a birthday PS2. I have two mm-hmm. PS2s, my regular one and the one I play on my birthday. Mm-hmm. But I know what Dave means. Um, it was one of the first games I ever owned on my birthday PS2, and I was immediately addicted to the modern gothic aesthetic of the characters and settings and the hilariously over-the-top action. At the age of 15, I loved the I-can-beat-you-up feeling of the moveset. Um, I did, however, make the mistake of convincing my parents to get me the console, but not the memory card. I never made it further than the first Nilo Angelo fight without a save file. In revisiting retro games, have you ever found yourselves caught off guard by progress loss in a manual save game in the age of autosave that we now live in? Yes, and uh, it sucks very badly when it happens. Yeah. Yeah. This I mentioned earlier I've been replaying Bloodlines and Bloodlines autosaves are not very aggressive. Right. So I uh you know, will die at a part and have to redo a stretch longer than I expect. Yeah. This even was a thing in Disco Elysium. Mm-hmm. You know, we talked about that, like how the auto saving is not very aggressive. Mm-hmm. Um, what a that memory card generation! No what a shitty move. <laughs> Just really bad. You could have built those in. You could add some onboard memory. Yeah, I, I guarantee that there was technology for it. But they didn't. Uh, they didn't. Yeah, fuckers. You know, they want that twenty four ninety nine for the eight megabyte memory card. Yeah, such horseshit. Yeah. Uh, Ignacio uh, says via contact, uh, I'm a huge fan of the Devil May Cry games, and I could go on and on about them, but I just want to touch on two short topics in this response. Last time I wrote in, I talked about the Doom 2016 board game. Well, guess what also has a board game? Devil May Cry, The Bloody Palace, is being made by the people who did the Dark Souls board game, and is still in production as of August 2020. I'm interested to see how those mechanics will translate to tabletop gaming. I also want to shout out a YouTube channel called Donguri990. They do combo videos, mod showcases, advanced tutorials, and boss rush, boss rush videos for the later Devil May Cry games. High-level DMC play is incredible to watch, doubly so if you're familiar with how those games play. I'd recommend their Combo Mad videos on DMC 3, 4, and 5. Spoilers for those games, of course. 
Yeah, I I can imagine that those games, the, the, those videos are very impressive. You know, watching people who are good, good at something do that thing mm-hmm. they're good at is always very good. I would need to have played the game to uh, appreciate the spectacle. It's kind of like I can respect that there's an awful lot going on on the screen when somebody plays Marvel versus Capcom 3, but having not played it, it just kind of looks like a lot of flash, you know? Yeah, yeah. So, same, like having that kind of baseline competency is what makes watching people do anything like that. Makes sense, Mm -hmm. you know, to me. Um, I have no idea how a Devil May Cry board game is going to work. I don't know. Um, I thought Dark Souls was too action-focused for that board game to be very good. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I didn't like that board game very much, and I am inherently uh, skeptical of anything that studio puts out. Like, the miniatures are cool. I'm glad I have those, but that's not a fun board game to play. No, the miniatures are incredible. Like, the best thing that uh, Levi running a Dark Souls-inspired iron kingdoms campaign was the best thing that came out of the miniatures <laughs> um the uh yeah that board game was super disappointing even though like i know that you can clue it together to be more fun like you yeah, can rule yeah. it but mm-hmm. you know you don't necessarily want to have to do that right yeah i would like to come out yeah. you know come out in the wash yeah, yeah. what if it was just uh good yeah <laughs> like you know? what, if, what if it was good yeah um so yeah. and devil may cry specifically seems like really weirdly suited to that like there have been games that have tried to simulate more action mm-hmm. based kind of real-time things like uh that, that yomi feeling specifically e- from the game yomi right uh and uh mixed results is the way i would probably put yeah that. i like so like uh, a tabletop game that where where so much is based on chance you know dice rolls are the way that you you know put in the modification right to mm-hmm. make sure that you just that what you want to happen doesn't always happen. That seems at odds with high level Devil May Cry play, where you are doing things very intentionally. Yeah, it seems like it would strip uh, out that intention that that is satisfying for a lot of people. Which is so weird when they also take something that is uh, so reflex based and put yes. it to a medium without reflexes. Mm-hmm. That was a big thing with the Dark Souls thing. Is like it was cool learning the boss move patterns, mm-hmm. uh, but not being able to dodge just felt weird yeah you know like, it's not inevitable um, that i take damage <laughs> like it shouldn't yeah. be yeah, yeah it's kind of it's kind of one of the big charms of the game yeah you know so mm-hmm. yeah. uh yeah so thanks everybody for writing in about devil may cry we do have more responses uh that we're going to announce the upcoming games first right um if you have anything to say about september's games hit us up at duckfeed.tv slash contact mm-hmm. those games are and we're actually switching the order uh, yes on these thank you um the, uh, we were originally going to do Lords of Magic first um, because of all that COVID brain that we just spent like three hours talking about. Um, <laughs> I have had a hard time doing the run up to it. Yeah. It's neat. Like it is my shit and I've made some real inroads mm-hmm. into it. Uh, I read the manual. I enjoyed that. It's just, you know, we talked about those different kinds of resistances mm-hmm. and I needed a little bit more time to get a run up to that kind of resistance. Uh, so we're doing Plants vs. Zombies first. Mm-hmm. Um, and to give you an idea of my resistance, I'm also going to talk about Plants vs. Zombies too. Mm-hmm. Uh, which, which I played is a good game is good. I played a dumb amount of in my <laughs> depression throws. Um, so that's actually going to happen first. Uh, then Lords of Magic special edition. Mm-hmm. Um, and the thing that makes that special edition is this expansion that has different missions mm-hmm. in it. Um, some of those are incredibly long. Uh, so we're going to talk about the premises of those, but not necessarily beat play through all of them. Right. Um, it's kind of the idea. So we're going to talk about Lords of Magic Um in a general sense, like there mm-hmm. are different units and factions and such. We're going to explain the game. It is going to be largely generality based because there's not a lot of storyline to that. Mm-hmm. And the actual scenarios are 
like challenge scenarios, like a SimCity yeah. challenge scenario. So we will mention them, but some of them take 30 hours to beat on their own. Yeah. Um, according to some research I was doing. So we're not going to do all those. Mm -hmm. So it's going to be kind of an overview of a very deep game. I think also if we had done like a uh, civilization or something. Yeah. Yeah. Or look back to our, um, oh gosh, Master Masters of Masters Ryan 2 episode. Yeah. Yep. Closest thing mm -hmm. to that in DNA for sure. Yeah. Um, and the premium episode for that month is going to be God of War 2018. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, uh, and, and then October. October. Exciting. Oh, my gosh. Four games I'm very excited to get into here, Gary. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So And two of them are kind of scary. <laughs> so unlike last last yeah. couple Octobers, okay. yeah. we might get some scares. Yeah. Uh, who knows? Who knows? Um, yeah. Oct but October. I think one of these is at least a little scary. Yes. Okay. At least a little bit. These are all spooky so. themed, let's say. Uh, so October's oh. games. Uh, first, we are doing Dino Crisis 2, mm -hmm. um, which is, you know, pretty goofy for for a horror game, but it comes from that uh, from that DNA. Uh, again, this is another offshoot of Resident Evil that Capcom was working on. So, like, weirdly a theme that we're, <laughs> that we're running through with Devil May Cry mm -hmm. and uh, my stream of Anamusha earlier this year. And then, th and then this. Capcom did weird things with the bones that they created for Resident Evil. So we're going to talk about that. Uh, after that, we are covering Soma, the uh, mm -hmm. sci-fi, the existential sci-fi horror game uh, created yep. by Frictional, uh, the team that did the Amnesia games, or you know, and the Penumbra. upcoming Amnesia game. Yes, and the upcoming Amnesia game. Um, I'm curious. That has to be delayed uh, because of COVID. Yeah, probably. Yeah, I haven't heard anything about it. Yep. Uh, I'm excited about that. We've both uh, cool as let's play that, and we covered it on Comrade. Mm -hmm. uh, so both of us have covered it in some capacity, but just not on this show. Yep. Um, but excited about that. Mm -hmm. um, next, we're doing Resident Evil 5, uh, which is not super scary at mm -hmm. all. Um, but I played through it earlier this year on the Switch. I played through it single player for the first time and yeah. had a lot of fun. Yeah. Uh, it's not perfect, mm -hmm. but it is fun. It's weird to expect it to be. Like, you know, yeah. don't hold it to the, it's hold it, don't hold it to the RE4 standard, but yeah. Don't hold anything to the RE4 standard. Yeah. You'll just be disappointed every day of your fucking life. <laughs> right. Uh, you can be more kind to yourself than that. Yeah. It, has, it has a lot of pleasures uh, <laughs> to it yeah. while not, uh, you know, not being RE4. Yeah. Um, but still good. Yeah. And, uh, you know, uh, it can be a good, good, Gary and Cole talk about race. Yeah. Cool. Let's uh, get thing that for at least there. a little bit. Cause yeah. you know, we, people love it when we do that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. uh, but then our premium episode, which is the one I think is scary, like mm -hmm. undeniably scary of this yeah. month, uh, is Doom 3. Yeah, the forgotten Doom game. Uh, yeah. Some people forgot it intentionally because they did not like the way that it uh, the, the, that it went. But it very much is uh, in a survival horror kind of vein. Um, yeah, Me, I think you and I are both Doom 3 stands to a degree. Yes. Yeah. Uh, defenders. Like, mm -hmm. I, I like Doom 3 quite a bit. It's not exactly Doom. You know, right, it doesn't right. feel like Doom 2 or Doom 2016, mm -hmm. but it is still a good game, a good scary game. Yeah. Um, and it's available on everything. Like, it came out on Switch. Like, you can get it, like, it frequently goes on sale on Switch for, like, $3. So. Yeah. Yeah, easy to play. Mm -hmm. uh, so that's October. We also, we have the rest of the year and the early part of 2021 uh, booked. Um, for October, of the games that we have talked about just now, all of them but two have been backer demands. Mm -hmm. um, if you want to do a backer demand, we are booking uh, 2021. Yep. You can do so by being a patron. Uh, we appreciate everybody who has done so. Yes, thank you. 
Um, and you do not have to back the, at that level. Um, that is very high, but you can get a lot by even just backing a $5. You get the full version of those premium episodes. You get, um, a whole other shows, bonfire side chat, unfilmable drawing to a close, but we're going to replace that with something else. Uh, when, uh, when, when that, when that finishes out, um, mm-hmm. yeah, there's lots, we, we have, uh, action packed, uh, even that tier of our Patreon for yeah. you. Yep. And we have some new stuff coming down the pike. Yes. Pipe like uh not just you know the unfilmable thing but we have some some neat announcement stuff coming up yep so look out for that mm-hmm. uh you can buy duck bundle four which is the audio from duck fest two enter the compu realm mm-hmm. yep uh now if you go to duckfeed.tv slash store that is 12 uh, hours of audio and it, and it's edited like i went through and i smoothed it out and added music and stuff like that so it is a different thing than if you just went and looked at an archive of it yeah it's <clears> neat <throat> Like, I think that I think that you'll enjoy it. And uh, all of the proceeds from that uh, go to uh, Color of Change. Uh, Color of Change. And uh, we don't talk about it a lot, but all of our old bundles are also available mm-hmm. and also still go to charity. So if you go to that thing and want to get extra content and want to give to a good cause, you know, we understand money is tight, but, mm-hmm. you know, people, you know, blessed be the ones who let their blessings go. Yeah. Uh, you know, just uh, uh, support some some good. So uh, that is at uh, duckfeed.tv slash duckbundle if you want to see where all of those are. Yeah. Um, and then ratings, reviews, and Apple Podcasts, of, of course. course. Welcome. Uh, we will see you next week with Plants vs. Zombies, and there's going to be a musical sting, mm-hmm. and then we're going to read your Disco Elysium thing. So if you haven't played Disco Elysium, which we demand <laughs> uh, you do, then duck out now. All right, so everybody here is okay with being spoiled on Disco Elysium, right? You're all cool, right? None of you are cops, right? <laughs> you I mean, have all to of tell you are us. cops. Yeah, I mean, uh, yeah. Right. Like, what type of cops, though, are you? <laughs> right. So, oh, it's like man. the reverse, like, you're all cops, right? <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, man. I, I, I thought of it just a terrible joke. <laughs> That's what you say at a clan meeting, so... Uh, oh yeah, yeah. yeah. I just what to if get, you're lucky? Gonna get in, we'll, cops. and get then, in then cops jokes. suck. Yeah, yeah. Um, like, but yeah, we're gonna open up here. Uh, Jack, who uh, was the person who uh, graciously sponsored those episodes, um, but uh, Jack writes in via contact saying, "Thank you guys so much for your thoughtful and excellent coverage of this game. I picked it up during one of the lowest points of my thoughts on my recent divorce. The X something content got to me then, and it still gets to me now." But once I reached the denouement, I was truly surprised by how optimistic things turned out. It really gave me an emotional jolt to see someone in the process of spiraling out of control realize that the ship could be righted. About 10 months later, I too have crawled out of my own personal idiot doom spiral, and I have a lot of excellent experiences with games such as this and content by you good boys to thank for that, to thank for a significant part of that. Dios mio. Dios mio, indeed. <laughs> uh, yeah, thanks, Jack. Thank thanks you. for uh, pushing us into playing this, and mm-hmm. I'm glad things are getting better. Yes. Someday we will karaoke again mm-hmm. when the world opens up. Yeah. We look forward to that day, to the return. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Gordon says via contact. Uh, I went the whole way through the game, sending screenshots of dialogue to my coworker. Never before has games writing, a game's writing just demanded that I show it off. How could it possibly be so damn good? 
What broke me was the conversation with your own gut when it tried to convert you to fascism. <laughs> and when you tell it that fascism kind of sounds bad, it agrees and renames it traditionalism. S tier. <laughs> so, I never did that. I, that is so good. The way that you yeah. justify a horrible belief by accepting a better name for it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, very well observed. Yeah. Um, nice. Yeah. I'm not a Nazi. I'm all right. Yeah, exactly. And yeah, I'm not all right. I'm a free thinker. Yeah. I'm a race realist. Wow. I'm, I'm an identitarian. I eat identities. Yeah. I'm a re race real estate agent. <laughs> Which is every real estate agent up through like the mid 60s and then for a long time yep. after that, too. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, See Lovecraft Country. Oh, yeah. On HBO is it, now. Is that good? Have you watched that? Uh, I haven't, but I read the book. Okay. Uh, and it's supposed to be really good. I'm waiting for it to be out. But oh, yeah. there's a there's a a lot of the plot is about that specific at least in the book gotcha was about that aspect of uh realty no oh, nice um samuel writes one of my greatest gamer moments was passing and failing the exact right checks so kim took a bullet for harry during the big showdown against the mercenaries don't worry he was taken to a hospital and stabilized um and i spent the last day with kuno as my partner according to steam achievement statistics this is not the way the game always ends I'm done with saving the world. I just want murder mysteries and labor dispute mediation in my RPGs. Uh, I was very, we talked about this in the episode. I was very surprised by how many people had the Kuno ending. Yeah. But that is, that's a function of Disco Elysium where mm -hmm. every time someone tells you about a divergent path, you're like, wait, Whoa. what? Huh? You know, everyone, everyone says that. Like everyone mm -hmm. feels like their playthrough is canonical. Yeah. Um, yeah, I this this is having that long shadow effect that Dark Souls had where I'm like, why should I care about this? Because it's not, you know, the thing I keep saying, like, good games aren't about that. Good games are about alcoholic cops solving murders. <laughs> yeah, uh, which is categorically know, is untrue, but emotionally untrue to our experience or but emotion, yeah, emotionally just, true to our experience. It, it feels like it right now Yeah, uh, when there's just not anything else that is scratching that itch, Yeah, uh, which is part of why I started replaying Bloodlines, because mm -hmm. at least there's a little bit of that politics and like. Yeah, you know, nuance and shit. Yeah, that. that's and, and, you know, and, and anarchy versus tradition. Yeah, yeah, you know that that's interesting to me. Yeah, um, you know, and it's just it's very hard to be like, yes, I care about. <laughs> I mean, anything really. Yeah, you know, like you uh, put anything in that spot. Yeah, uh, you know, and you got to be careful with that because that. Oops, that's also a description of depression. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, this is definitely a description of depression. But yeah. the idea that Disco Elysium recast my depression in a different light. Mm. Uh, is is a powerful statement. Agreed. Yeah. Due to a mix of role-playing choices, missed story paths, and personal slash subjective experience. Instead, the emotional climax of the game, for me, came during the standoff. The theme for my playthrough was atonement. My Harry was a formerly talented Matlock, just-the-facts-ma'am style cop who made a few poor choices and, hey, Pocket. Hey, Pocket. Casey says via contact. I didn't find the true ending as affecting as you two did, did to, due to a mix of role-playing choices, mix, missed story paths, and personal slash subjective experience. Instead, the emotional climax of the game for me came during the standoff. The theme for my playthrough was atonement. My Harry was a formerly talented Matlock, just the facts ma'am, style cop who made a few poor choices and set out on this case to prove his self-worth to himself and to others. After 20 hours of apologizing, stammering, and generally bumble-fucking my way uh, through the most basic detective uh, activities, I ran into an armed conflict, made a clutch hand-eye coordination roll, and put a single bullet through the skull of a fascist nutjob. 
in my head canon, pulling through during that single herring moment set Harry up for the broader redemption that came with a true ending. What a game. Also a good story. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I feel like it's really similar to how I played my Harry, and I also found that to be like a climax as well. Like yeah. we talked about that in the episodes. Uh, it feels like the game has multiple climaxes. Mm-hmm. Uh, to its different themes. Yeah. And that yeah. was also, that was a real competence climax for, for my Harry as well. Mm-hmm. It's so it's very funny that like, as media gets older, people start like pulling, uh, p- pulling like different references and mixing them up. The fact that Casey says Matlock is just a fax ma'am makes the hair on, my, on the back of my neck stand up. Sir, that is Joe yeah, Friday. Right? You say, you, you, right? you say dragnet. <laughs> like, Yeah. It's uh no, it's it's Joe Friday. He says just the facts. Matlock is the lawyer who uh, d- who hates young people. Doesn't Matlock say there's just one more thing? No, that's, no, that's that, Columbo. yeah, that's Columbo. Yeah, yeah. Matlock doesn't even have a saying. I think this no. is Matlock's fault, not no, not it's Casey's not Casey's fault. Casey's fault. And also, like nobody yeah. nobody should be responsible for knowing all this old stuff. And it's not reasonable to know to know all the old stuff. It's not it's not yeah. reasonable for me to bring it up. It's not reasonable to know the new stuff either. <laughs> um. The like it just it's a yeah. God, is there? A, I need to go and just watch and see if there's a way to watch Columbo. That's a fucking good show, man. Columbo's pretty good. It has that thing where like I feel like all of those shows are a little longer than I want them to be. Yeah. Like every '70s show, I want I don't want them to be like 50 minutes. Yeah. yeah. You know, but yeah, I've I've enjoyed Columbo. Mm-hmm. Um. But yeah. Uh, agreed that, that that is a good i mean like even even within the, the the standoff there are multiple things that could be a redemption moment moment like you know for me getting kim to trust me you know like yeah. that 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 test that ended up saving both of us you know was hugely cathartic i love a redemption story that feels like it has the appropriate extremes mm-hmm. like the the bad stuff feels bad enough yeah. and the good stuff feels good enough like contrasting it with something that doesn't have the same scope it's just the first thing that popped in my head uh this is not me i wouldn't write this in an essay right <laughs> but like there's a big theme of redemption in um final fantasy 4 for example right but the frustrating thing about that was it was always, it was an accident like bombing the village was not something you wanted to do right you were uh you were you a know? tool yeah yeah and like i understand why they did that because you're the hero and they didn't want you to be a war criminal but it just made, you know, and like for the story that tells, it does a great job with that. But like, you know, it would have been if he was actually aware of what he was doing mm-hmm. and it wasn't like, you don't have to redeem yourself for accidents like that. Yeah. You know, or you do, but just like way you, you can You can make it right. Like it's about those particular people, you know, and maybe there's something like he, you know, Cecil immediately removes himself from the situation where he could be a tool to do that again. But, yeah. No. But, the, but the idea that like, he's just got this guilt, mm-hmm. you know, like you can have a lot of guilt for something you do accidentally, but it's never going to be as strong as the guilt for stuff you did yeah. just being an ass, Yeah, you know, man, just being an ass. Yeah. It's a, it's a powerful thing. Super powerful thing. Yeah. What a, like one of my friends, like they got, they got drunk. One of my buddies like punched another one of my buddies. Oh no. Got, got real mad at him like a long time ago. Oh. Uh, and I, I think about him as somebody who like, kind of dro- like romanticizes that kind of thing mm-hmm. you know a little bit like he's just like yeah this is just what men of passion do mm. you know and stuff and then later like he's just like really ashamed about it because of course he is yeah because it was it was dumb and he shouldn't have done it yeah you know so, hmm. so um 
Riley writes in via contact saying Disco Elysium taps into what the late Mark Fisher described as capitalist realism. The idea that it's easier to imagine the end of the world than the end of capitalism. Revolution was tried and failed. Our chance for a better future has come and gone. And all there is now is waiting for the clock to tick down on imminent disaster, be that at the ever encroaching pale or climate change. Uh, it made me feel like shit and I loved it. This game hit me with the exact despair that I feel in my lowest moments and let me linger on it. A lot of leftist media will focus on hope for a better future and the things that we can do to get us closer to it. Communist Harry isn't entirely without that hope and seeing him try to build himself back up from his lowest moment in, a, in the face of an utterly uncaring world is great, but I admire the game for mostly focusing on a different but equally real emotional space we don't see explored nearly as much. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. Agreed. No, that's a super. Uh, so I, I never knew that that idea that it is impossible to imagine the end of capital capitalism. I never knew that as that that had like a term attached to it. Uh, capitalist realism. So I appreciate Riley uh, filling me in on this so I can go and read some Mark Fisher. Yeah, it's it's really uh, uh, pretty like that is a real idea mm -hmm. it's a well-observed observation yeah yeah i mean and all you have to do is look at liberals on twitter to see to see the limits yeah, yeah. of the imagination yeah there's literally no way out of this right like this is just how it has to be mm -hmm. you know um it'll all be better if we get trump out yep it'll all go away everybody yeah Oof, man um, this uh the, the, <laughs> uh I, you know uh this will all be better once the symptom goes away uh you're, you're still yeah. profoundly sick sir then once the symptom yeah. goes away <laughs> yeah i can't wait for the symptom to go away yeah um, uh, love getting rid of symptoms yeah. uh dylan says via contact uh, I have yet to finish Disco Elysium. You shouldn't be listening to this part yet, Dylan. Uh, <laughs> I have yet to finish Disco Elysium as I am enjoying wrestling with its density as I would a big-ass novel. But I wanted to write in specifically to brag about one of my best friends who was one of the writers on the game. Mm. Neat. Uh, we met in third grade at a summer camp for extremely pasty indoor kids who all, all wanted to become authors. And it simply makes me happy to know that he made good on that dream by contributing to uh, contributing his work to the modern game known for its writing. Specifically, my friend contributed a lot of material to the bookstore, one of my favorite areas of the game, and penned a particularly pornographic paragraph about the tactile delight of unboxing a new board game. Mm. I have nothing to add to the discussion, but I just wanted to share my secondhand pride. That's awesome. Yeah, that's cool that you know a person who did that uh, cr crazy cool thing. Um, yeah, that's, I feel, that's amazing. I feel bad for not doing a lot of reading in the bookstore. I, I wish I could, I could comment more specifically on what your friend did. but I, I did a degree, but mm -hmm. I do not do not uh, remember the specifics. I did uh, the board game thing I did see, mm -hmm. and that is, uh, that is good. Yeah. But yeah, no, if you still talk to them, pass it along. Say we love it. Say these two nobody yeah. podcasters really enjoyed your work among all yeah. these millions of people <laughs> who enjoyed people your work. You never heard of uh, yeah. <laughs> like your shit. <laughs> yeah, oh, that's good. Um, you know, it's 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 okay to be proud that you know somebody who did something cool. That's fine. Well, I just say you're you're not saying it for you. Mm -hmm. Like we're not after this. We're not being like, man, Dylan is fucking cool. <laughs> like I'm sure Dylan is cool, but yeah. this is just uh, you know, yeah. you want us to join you in cheering on your buddy. Yeah, like that's a good, that's a, a noble, mm -hmm. virtuous act. Yeah. Um, John writes via contact saying, I put Disco Elysium down after 10 hours thinking that it wasn't for me, but I picked it up one more time for the show. Some of my initial resistance came from the feel bads generated when failing a high percentage check due to an unlucky roll. 
However, I do agree that removing the dice rolls would be a huge detriment. Checks would become simple stat gates or require more modifiers. It would also potentially remove the experience of failing unless they hid the stat requirements for the first attempt. Furthermore, you would no longer be able to uh, get past a stalled investigation with a lucky roll. Um, I wondered if they removed the dice rolls. Sorry, I wonder. I wondered if they removed the dice rolls for just white checks, but kept them uh, for the suspense in red checks. Um, but there'd still be uh, the same problems there. It still goes to show how thoroughly the devs thought of this, thought through the system. Thank you both for covering Disco Elysium and for the show and for getting me into uh, get, for getting me to finish this nuanced, unique experience. I I've talked to a couple of people about those feel bads mm-hmm. uh, for that, uh, including you know uh, a mutual friend of ours. Okay, and I don't uh, I don't like I don't see it. I, I think yeah. that to me. It's like I understand it intellectually, um, but I, I couldn't I really disagree with, uh, you know, that being the way to, you know, they should have done it. Mm-hmm. And like John ultimately doesn't want them to do it that way either. But like, right, right. I just feel like as opposed you would lose so much by getting rid of that as opposed to trying to get rid of the part of yourself that feels bad. Mm-hmm. Like this is something where I felt like this was a work that was 100 percent worth me, you know, in that element, meeting it more than halfway yeah and giving up that gamer feel mm-hmm. kind of thing i think that they did the requisite work in this to compensate for that feel bad um insofar as you know failing is still beneficial to you it is always fail forward uh that there is always a way for you know there's always a way to try again or move forward if you fail mm-hmm. like there's never really a way to get like permanently stuck at least as far as i know so, yeah, I can see getting annoying and, you know, I can see getting annoyed, but I, I personally can't put myself in the headspace where I feel slighted by it. Well, they want you like so much of the rest of the game to to get the full like effect of it. I feel like you have to kind of divorce yourself from thinking of games in a traditional like player win fail. Yeah. No. You know, uh, win lose kind of dichotomy like it does feel good to to lose or feel bad to lose stuff in Mm -hmm. games, but this game doesn't want you to approach it like a gamer. Yeah. You know, like it it shouldn't be, you shouldn't feel bad about failing a check in disco Elysium the way you feel bad about getting hit by a boss in dark souls Yeah, or like not getting, you know, getting tagged by a ghost in Pac-Man. Like for the rest of the stuff in the game to work, you have to kind of shed that a little bit and approach it on a different level. Yeah. And the the closest analog is like really like modern tabletop stuff. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, uh, like even the devs were like, losers see stuff, winners never will. Like, it's it's fail forward and get told a story yeah. and being okay with like your story being the one that didn't succeed at this thing. Mm-hmm. And you know, if I was talking to somebody who was going into this and they were they were you know feeling a thing, you know, like anticipatory FOMO that like, oh, I don't you know I don't like that there's a role system because I'm not afraid I'm going to see anything. Something that is really important is like getting on getting on board with Harry as a fuck up at least at the start yeah. of this. And as you rebuild, you know, you getting the, uh, you know, you building toward being more successful as you get your feet under you. I think that is a, you know, having Harry be what he is, you know, throughout this, but especially at the start is a huge win for gameplay and if not story, at least character integration. Right. Well, and, but even to, to meet it that way, you have to be in a mood to role play where you realize that you're playing Harry and not yourself. Yeah. Like when people feel bad about failing, I don't think they're thinking about Harry failing. They're thinking about them failing. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and divorcing you 
from that, like getting you to dissociate in that way is really a key to this. Yeah. You know, I ended up seeing tons of myself in Harry, mm -hmm. but I didn't feel like, like I, I, I don't even drink anymore. Like I don't, you know, don't <laughs> right. do drugs, right. uh, you know, or like, I, I mean, that's not true. Mm -hmm. uh, I'll take a slow ball from time to time mm -hmm. to go to sleep, but I don't do, I, you know, I don't do drug drugs. Mm -hmm. Um, so it's not, I wasn't seeing myself in him in that way. Like I was playing a character who had this kind of thing. Yeah. Like it is a role-playing game in a really direct way and in a way that role-playing games almost never are. Yeah. Uh, very rare that you're playing a role mm -hmm. in a game. Can you define slow ball for people who might be concerned by hearing uh, that? <laughs> uh, that is a Z-Quill and a weed gummy. Gotcha. Okay. Uh, for sleep. Cool. So I forgot. I couldn't remember if I had brought that up on the show or not. I, I figured uh, that's what it, I figured that's what it was. Um, but I <laughs> no, because, because I think that I think that you had spoken of it before. The, the the converse of a slow ball, which is you know ultimately harmless unless you have some other condition. The converse of a slow ball is a speed ball, which is heroin and coke. So yeah, I didn't, which I, I don't do. What I didn't want was somebody to think like, well, wait a minute, slow ball. Gary's got really into coke. <laughs> yeah, Gary's like he super doesn't even drink anymore. Now. That's fine. Yeah, it's um, fine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah uh, so I just, I just wanted to define that term just in no, case. No, I, I appreciate that. Yeah. Every once in a while, something makes it into like your general conversation, uh -huh. and you just drop it on air yeah. like it's nothing. Yeah, I didn't so, want somebody to get worried for you, buddy. No, please don't be worried about me. Yeah. Um, let's see here. Uh, is this you or me? For I think Eric. this is me. Okay. Uh, Eric, Eric via contact says, Disco Elysium is a rare and special thing. It's a game I find difficult to talk about since every attempt I make ends up sounding pretentious or hippy dippy or a grotesque mixture of both. There's dozens upon dozens of games I love, but Disco Elysium is one of the very, very few that feels genuinely enriching. Once I finished it, I felt like I had truly done something nice for myself as a human being. There's obviously tons of incredible standout moments, but there's one little line of dialogue from Kim that stuck with me. Once you realize, to your horror, that the crashed motor carriage outside the fishing village is actually yours, Kim uh, replies simply, I'm sorry, Harry. I'm so sorry. It's an incredibly simple line, but something about it just knocked the wind out of me. It'd be so easy to make Kim an unfeeling, one-dimensional straight man to wacky old Harry, or to just have him roll his eyes at your irresponsibility. But instead, they make him this beautiful, rich character that believably extends empathy at that moment, knowing that you feel mortified and that you deeply do not want this to... Do not want to be this much of a goddamn mess. That's such a good scene. Just sitting yeah. there and like passing the time as the ice melts is so good. One of the things about, um, you know, we talk about this game as a deeply like empathetic game and a game with lots of heart. It's not just what it, it has that in the grand philosophy. The characters have it for each other as well. Yeah. You know, um, like you see the sympathy in Kuno, like you see the sympathy in Titus. Kim sees the sympathy in you. Like mm -hmm. the the hostel manager cleans up your room after you get shot defending the hostel from fascists. Like mm -hmm. the characters exhibit empathy for each other as well. Yeah. Um, and that is like lends to that feeling quite a bit. Mm -hmm. Um, I think it's important too. Like that conversation can only happen on day three, right? You would yeah. have had to have spent time with Kim. Like there was a chance for you to get to know each other and for you to understand how he operates to where him delivering that could feel like it comes from a genuine place. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, God, Excuse Kim me. is such a good character. I know, really, I know a lot really of my good. analysis has been, man, this thing is really good in this game. It's, it's very hard not to be replaying it. I know. Right yeah. now. <laughs> uh, <laughs> that's, you know? that's all I want to do. 
Yeah. Oh, man. Um, Ryan writes via contact, Hey, guys. Uh, Disco Elysium is one of the most incredible games I have ever played. It's one of those experiences where I went in almost completely blind, and along the way, I came to the realization, Oh, this is made for me, which is something that happens so rarely. But when it does, I am completely enamored and cannot stop thinking about it. Almost every aspect of the game resonated with me. The art style, the writing, the music, the overall mood, setting, characters, dialogue, and of course, the revolutionary RPG systems. But the main thing was being able to play the, uh, to play a protagonist that I could relate to on a level that I've never encountered in media before. I struggle with alcoholism and depression. Seeing it portrayed uh, the way that it is by Harry, while still extreme and fantastical in some cases, allowed me to bring myself further into the role-playing experience. <clears throat> And I really feel uh, what he was going through since I could relate so well. I strived to stay sober and ignore the temptations electrochemistry offered. I tried to get my shit together and become a better person than I was by listening to the myriad aspects of the brain uh, that I thought would help uh, that I thought would best help me deal with each situation. And of course, I wanted to do right by my sweet, sweet boy, Kim. Making him proud was the most rewarding part of the game, and I couldn't even bear the thought of doing anything that would ruin the friendship we had accrued through the journey, despite the multitude of fuck-ups dealing with the case, and my proclivity to lean into the Inland Empire aspect. There's so much more I could say about why Disco Elysium is special to me. It's a game I think about all the time and has set such a high standard for other narrative RPGs to reach. I am super excited for whatever else the developers have planned for the future. So until then, I'll throw on the soundtrack uh, once in a while and nod along to Whirling in Rags. Yeah. Yeah, that, that's, uh, it's, <clears throat> it's really neat the way that this can appeal, whether you directly relate or not. Yes. You know, those things. Like, I feel like this character is not going to relate to everybody. Like there, there are conversations in the Slack, like people were turned off by this because they were like, yeah, I can't relate to this guy. Yeah. Or like reminds me of somebody who in my own life who hurt me, you know? Yeah. Yeah. You know, but it is something where like you can relate to it on multiple facets, I think, or yeah, we could, some people can relate to it on Mm -hmm. multiple facets. Yeah. So, yep. Thank you for sharing that, Ryan. Yeah. Thank you, Ryan. Uh, Stuart says via contact. I left Disco Elysium feeling contemplative or contemplative. God, contemplative. There you go. Is that right? Uh, We've been recording for a while. Uh, (laughs) And melancholy. The echoes of a failed revolution and the terrifying, inevitable nothingness off in the distance really spoke to me about the current state of the world. I wanted to share this experience so much. I kind of ruined the ending for my partner. I watched her whole playthrough. It was funny and convoluted and differed so much from mine. But in the end, when she had a chance to speak with the uh, Insulidian Phasmid, she couldn't pass the electrochemistry check. For me, it had been a 12 difficulty, but for her, it was a 20. The conversation with it had left uh, left me with so much emotional connection to Harry and to Kuno, who was with me at the time, that I tore open the game's files to mod her character to max stats, and still the game would not let her pass the check. We ended up watching the bit on YouTube, but it wasn't the same. And I deeply regret not letting the ending be whatever it was going to be for her and trying to impose my experience on it instead. Yeah. Yeah, that sucks. That's a bummer. Yeah. Yeah. You know, like you can get, you know, even if you are going to get the majority of the same content, navigating your way through that conversation and responding to its questions, like, you know, what what do you think of me? You know, am I beautiful? Am I kind? You know, am I, am I scary? Right. Yeah. Um, you know, like making those choices though it is you know technically pretty low interactivity on the scale of things is still very important to it being your experience of it 
Yeah, I think so. Yeah. You know, I don't beat yourself up too much. You were, you had your heart in the right place. Yes. And, and also, I don't know how you, your input in watching and, and watching her made her fail that check too. Yeah, no, I, well, I don't think that's what he was saying. <laughs> oh, I think he yeah. was saying that, uh, he tried to go in and he didn't just uh, let the right. scene go as it was. He tried to go in and cheat. Yeah. Uh, make sure she got it. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. yeah. Uh, what does John say? John says, um, I think for me, one of the most successful elements of Disco Elysium is how it portrays a reality that is chewy with easily missed detail, where the indiscriminate mind can be as involved in the intricacies of a board game or plumbing the obscure meandering thoughts of a racist or indeed trying to deliver a criminal investigation against the backdrop of personal and, eco personal and economic ruin. It's all there to be found if we choose to play the role of a detective. It's an ode to the value of paying attention uh, to the lives of the people around us and to the squabbling forces within our within, well, within our own bodies. There we go. A question for you two. What comes after this in terms of games with deep, dreamy, and dark writing at their core? Electrochemistry says, more please, and keep the focus on it being a game, not just a book. Um, at any rate, uh, Zaum or Z-A-U-M, uh, has a spotlight and a disco ball over them now. Um, I hope this has a huge influence in terms of adventure games, like in general. Mm -hmm. I don't expect adventure games that follow this to be as deep or as well written, but I really hope this bucks the trend of no mechanics, please, yeah. adventure games. Mm -hmm. um, I really want this to cause a sea change in the genre, and we stop just saying, what if we have, you know, there's just dialogue and you're just told a story. Yeah. Um, I really want this to be the beginning of the end of that. Yes. Not the end, but like the beginning of the end of it's like prominence. Yeah. Yeah. Like there are things that kind of have a similar melancholy dreaminess to it. Like I've, I've played like three episodes of Kentucky route zero and that is an interesting, um, you know, that, that is an interesting thing to go through. It is not as mm -hmm. rigorous as this is in terms of being mechanical. Like that is kind of a, you know, a, a poem that unfolds as you choose to unfold it right yeah. um you know so it's like it, you, you can't really i can't really make a comparison to this i know that you gary made some comparisons to like the tides of numenera uh game a little but, bit yeah. yeah which does that without the same kind of depth but at its best right kind of evokes this mm -hmm. you know and it, it's it's hard it's it's hard to do yeah right i think that that's one of the things that i came away from this is that like and i'm not trying to say it's easy to do Kentucky right zero no, zero. No. Like it's not, it's not easy to write a really beautiful poem. Right. You know, or we, or we'd be up to our fucking necks and poet laureates over here. <laughs> yeah. You know, I, I, be, I think it's, I think it's really difficult, but I think that this is more difficult. I think this is yeah. trickier, but to me has more like, I haven't played Kentucky right route zero yet. I want to, I'm not against it. Uh, it is. I wish I had played it before I played this Yeah, because knowing that it is barely interactive really puts a gray lining on that silver cloud for me. Yeah. Um, you know, another point of comparison I always make, and this is a game I like, uh, but like I think about night in the woods, which mm -hmm. also has this melancholy tone, a lot of the same themes. And I liked everything about that, except playing it mm -hmm. like the act of playing it. I didn't actually care for that much. And that would have been fixed by having it be less of a, just here's a story you unfold at your own pace. Yeah. You know, I, I really think that my, you know, I don't even want to make a qualitative statement about whether that's good or not, because there are a thousand percent people who prefer both of those works to this one. Mm -hmm. I think for my own personal taste, I am 
no longer really interested in that and much more interested in something that does seem closer to this. Yeah. And keep in mind, we're talking about like relatively mainstream games, even in the indie space um, that we are aware of. There might be something, you know, on itch that hits precisely this note. It just hasn't been brought to our attention. Yeah. And I want it to be brought to my attention. So yeah. if, if, if it's extant, please tell me. Yeah. It you can know, be short. Not I, you know, trying... It's fine if it's short. <laughs> it's great if it's short. Yeah. This isn't me just putting this on a pedestal and saying nothing can match it. This is right. me saying that like, hey, I enjoyed this a lot more than I enjoyed some other experiences that are kind of similar. What mm -hmm. else can I get that does this? Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, I suppose it's probably the kind of thing that people get from Undertale as well. Yeah, I can bit. see like that. That, mechanic, yeah. that mechanical mix with like, like, I didn't like that game, but mm -hmm. I know that a lot of people, it touched their heart. Yeah. Um, a lot of way, I think if that were less online and a little less Tumblr-y, it might have touched <laughs> my heart. Yeah, you know? yeah. I, I, I liked Undertale. I, I liked that game quite a bit, actually. Um, it's similar, uh, but not exactly the same thing here. I think that, um, you know, like that that is mechanical in a different way. Um, and the way that it is mechanical is less kind of mixed in with the story, um, yeah. you know, as it is here. And part of it is just writing in tone. Like if you mm -hmm. took the, the writing and tone of this game and overlaid it over Undertale, mm -hmm. I probably would have powered through the parts I didn't like yeah. Yeah. to get to the parts I would have, mm -hmm. you know, instead yeah. of it all being, Ooh, I'm small bean. <laughs> the game. I, I don't remember it being a lot like that, but different sensitivities. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just very sensitive to Tumblr speak right now. Yeah. Well, you know, so. well, it could because Tumblr collapsed and it is, it is flooded into and Twitter. Now it's on Twitter. It's, yeah. It's in our, TikTok it's in our space and, and it fucking sucks it's in the water. Yeah. yeah. Now it's in the water. Yeah. Uh, let's see. What does John say? Uh, other John, uh, says, so when I heard the whirling and rag song, I immediately reminded me of Lauren's song Anvil with a trumpet accentuating the melody. And if you've seen that film clip, it kind of matches the game too. A feeling of existence disappearing, melancholic happiness, becoming something new, more. But I do want to talk about the tribunal, because I put the game down for a day after that, and I had that, mu I had that much of an adverse reaction. In Disco Elysium, you generally go at your own pace, but once you trigger, the meet trigger meeting Ruby, don't worry about anything. Uh, don't worry about finishing anything else. It's all over. The pace last choice is gone. I found this grating even the opposite of what a Disco Elysium is about. This is different from if I had missed a red skill check, which are based on my character choices. I could handle missing out on content. I couldn't handle missing out on content because a moment wasn't signposted. It needed one of those goofy point of no return pop-ups uh, because I've tried to replay this game since then, and I can't. It gave me that much of a visceral reaction. I read up on it, and nothing can really change the outcome, even if you arrested or killed the main suspect, which, you know, should matter. Uh, I would have even been happy with a really bad outcome of you blaming the wrong person who gets slaughtered by the tribunal. That would have fit the theme. I did finish the game eventually, and thank goodness. I needed Harry standing in front of the boat, blasting sad FM, and making sure the killer knows my location. That was the crazy fun stuff that makes me love Disco Elysium. Yeah. Uh, the, I don't know, like, I'm not trying to, you know, experiences are different and everything. Mm -hmm. Kim just straight up told me, hey, if there's anything you want to do in town, you should do it now. Yeah, yeah. Uh, before I went down in the basement. Like, there's a distinct moment right after I left the little communist mm -hmm. hut that he just said, like, hey, this is a point of no return. Yeah, yeah. You know? um, so it, it's easy to miss that kind of thing. And maybe it was part of a dialogue branch. I don't remember the specifics. Mm -hmm. But it, it at the very least exists within the game. Yeah, yeah. 
you know, it can be argued whether or not it's at odds with what the game took, you know, established as important over the previous 30 hours or what have you. But I think that, you know, once you reach that point, they, they valued adding a sense of momentum to what was happening here. I think it would take a lot away if you were able to wander off. Yeah. Um, I think that it, 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 so it, it would lose, it would lose the urgency and specifically like when you get to the final day after you wake up, you know, from being shot and you are, you know, kind of doing the hail Mary that Clausia allowed for you by, by setting up that yarn and, you know, tracing the, tra the trajectory. I think that like that feeling meandering, but also like what else are we going to do on our way out? Because everything is settled. You know, all of the, all of the key players have left. Um, I think that that is a, a very important thing to add for the urgency as well. Yeah. They had to end somehow. Yeah. And they, they wanted to have control over the ending. Like this, I think this game does a remarkable job of being like feeling like a tabletop game with an open-ended GM, mm -hmm. but ultimately it is a computer with binary choices. So it had to, you know, if it wanted to have an authored ending, mm -hmm. even with all of the play space available within that ending, it had to happen at some point. Yeah. You know, I can understand being frustrated if you miss the this is the point of no return. Yes. Yeah. Message. Yep. Yeah. Um uh, and close us out. Yeah, lastly here we have Elliot who writes in via contact saying, I have no words for this monumental epic because I am not one of the writers for Disco Elysium who have an unmatched ability to craft and cultivate a rich and viscous world full of tragedy, hope and everything in between. I love that word choice, viscous. Um, personally, I thought Disco Elysium is a wonderful story through the lens of historical materialism. However, beyond that, I'm still not entirely sure what this is all meant to be. I just know that I left the experience feeling deeply moved where I'm in a time of my life where some of it is all just a bit too relevant for me. Uh, you know, the writers are top of their game when they can make an ultra liberal like Joyce, one of my, one of my personal favorites. Uh, one of the many characters in this world full of regret, hypocrisy, sincerity, and an instinct to survive. Uh, whether it was navigating the streets of Revachol, exploring the homosexual underground, or turning myself into a very, very smart boy with something like a university degree in truth, uh, this game never ceased to amaze me. Disco Elysium is truly a masterpiece uh, that has put the world that has put the RPG world on notice. Probably the best game that I played this year, and that's coming from a Half Life fanboy who was sated uh, 13 years later by uh, by Half Life Alex. Uh, if there is one thing that we can't take away from this game, uh, it would be the wisdom from the emotional and melancholic encounter with the Insulidian Phasmid. Do it for the working class. Do it for the working class. Love it. Love that working class. Mm -hmm. Honestly, the best class. Oh, yeah. If I had to choose. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah. Like, what else are you going to choose? Oh, look at me. I'm PMC. I might yeah, technically like, qualify yeah, as PMC, but I don't know. I'd love to choose the ruling class. Yeah. I'd love to choose the landed gentry. I'd love to side with the winners. Yeah. Yeah. Ugh. Who's going to do that? Yeah. But have you never read a story? <laughs> like, like, are you just like, you never, you've. Like literally, have you talked to another person? Jesus yeah. Christ! Hi, I'm not from New York. I'm not from New York or Texas, but I love the Yankees and the Cowboys. Yeah, what the fuck are you doing? Yeah. What, are you, yeah. what kind of choice you are you making with your life? Come on, yeah, yeah. working class. <laughs> um, thanks everybody. We're not going to do the whole intro outro again because we already did. Yeah, but we really yeah. appreciate everybody coming out in force. Mm -hmm. uh, and we will see you next week. Yeah, Umbasa. Umbasa. <laughs>